Warning, this podcast features adult subject matter, adult language, and things not meant for children to hear. Viewer discretion is advised. You've been warned. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for tuning in to another episode of I'm No Joe, the show where every armchair quarterback can feel like an Eddie Bravo. So as per the usual, I have got a wonderful group of MMA enthusiasts here with me to break down some of the most interesting upcoming events we have got on the horizon. Kick it off first and foremost to my brother from another mother here, my MMA homeboy, Golf G Vapes. Let the people know where they can find you when we're done with this fun. What's up, everybody? You can catch me at Golf Tea Vapes on YouTube, on the Instagrams, or if you're feeling giddy, feel free to email me at Gmail. Awesome, awesome. Thank you again for coming, brother. Oh, yeah. Next down the line, we have got one of my favorite MMA homeboys to do shit talking with here, Mr. Pikeska, Alan Pike. Thank you for coming, brother. Not a problem. You can find me on the gram at uh, Pikeska underscore MSM. Pleasure to be here. Thank you again, brother. And then last but certainly not least, the man of the hour, Ned's better half, Nicholas Devine. What's up, guys? Uh, thanks for having me on. You can find me at n.divine83 on Instagram and YouTube. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Gentlemen, thank you again for coming. So before we get into the meat and potatoes of what this episode is going to be about, I want to take just a moment here to talk about a couple things that are going on currently and then a couple things that are going to kick off tonight. So the first thing I would like to get an opinion from you three fine gentlemen on is Vitor fucking Belfort. Now, he has been in the news this week because, again, he is putting more promotion and more fuel to the fire of the rumors of him starting a quote-unquote legends league where they will be allowing trt supplementation and he's specifically trying to get brian stan the all-american on board to help make this an actual thing what do you guys think about him getting basically an old guys fighting league together here well the word legend is used for a reason you know what i mean there's a time and a place, and their time is up. I'm, I'm very much of that similar opinion. I mean, I, I love Brian Stan in his prime. Everybody who's a fan of fighting, I think, at least has to love a couple of those prime Vitor in his heyday fights. So I definitely see the, the respect earned from the guys that deserve it. But at the same time, it seems like 2018 is becoming the year of old guys trying to come back out of retirement again, too. And I think... At some point, we just got to start telling these guys no. I'm 100% on that board because, you know what? You guys were great in your prime. There's a time to know when to hang it up. I get it. Some of you, you live fighting, you die fighting, you breathe fighting. I get it. But at the same time, hang it up. Do what a lot of the other fighters are doing once they're laying down the gloves inside the octagon. Coach people. Because you know what? You've been there. You've done that. So you know what to expect and be able to teach them the right things on what to do, how to move their career in the direction that they want to go. Fucking coach, you're better off doing that than taking any more brain injuries or any other major injuries. Not to mention if we're doing a Legends League where we've got people in there just short of fucking canes and walkers from 20 years plus of contact sports. Guess what? 
it's not going to look that great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to see some of these guys fight again, but not right now in their prime. Unfortunately, that time has passed for a lot of them. Don't, and Brian Stan, he retired when he was ready. Yep. If he jumps on board with that and decides, yeah, I'll fight in that, I'm out. I love Brian Stan. He's a former Marine. He's always got my seal of approval being military myself, but don't, don't fucking fall into that pitfall. I mean, he even quit his fucking commentary job to spend more time with his family. Why would he jump into something like this? That's just fucking ludicrous. I agree. And if you look realistically, Brian Stan is one of the few examples that I can think of just off the top of my head that actually retired when it was a perfect time for him to retire. He wasn't punch drunk. He didn't miss a step. You can tell by watching any of his commentary, the man is still quick as a whip. All his sense are there. He's an intelligent man. And above that, he's still in great shape. So I think realistically, if anyone could potentially make some type of return and is still in both the mental and physical capability level, Brian Stan would be the one. But I really haven't heard anything from Brian Stan showing interest. It's really just at this point, Vitor saying, you know, we could get people like Brian Stan. I think the fact that he hasn't responded kind of says something in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, maybe a little bit of devil's advocate. I mean, the guys have to go somewhere that, uh, you know, where the where they could fight the older guys or the guys even just making that transition to, you know, there's some guys out there that are awesome that are kind of in that age area where they're on their way out. And then you got guys that are probably in there for too long. But if they're going to go somewhere, it would be a good place to have just one place for – anybody of that age so that you don't have guys like uh, Anthony Smith being called a legend killer because he's a young guy beating up on all these, you know, older guys. Very true. Very true. And, and to that point, actually, uh, I was talking with another buddy of mine the other day. Um, I mean, it's horrible that his arm is messed up right now, but that's that exact reason here is, is one of the things that I love so much about Cowboy Cerrone. Cause on one hand, he's a dude who's been in there, banging toe-to-toe with every ounce of everything he's got for years but at the same time he also has enough forethought to realize that he's not going to be able to fight forever and he built the bmf the bad motherfucker ranch out there in new mexico he built dorms he built a full gym and now he's actually got they're calling it the cowboy fighting uh what is it the cowboy fighting association i think the cfa it's basically the competition for dana white's contender series for dana white looking for a fight shit He's bringing new up-and-comers out to New Mexico to his ranch and getting them, like, decently promoted fights that are going to be on pay-per-view and then on demand and stuff, too. Like, granted, they're not competing with the UFC in any shape or form, but he is taking the, the backseat of a coach's position while he's still in the, the tailing section of his fighting career. So he both is aware that it's time for him to transition and has the forethought to not only step into a coach's position, but to help other fighters like he was come up and try and get a little more recognition as well. I think that, in my opinion, is a little bit better of an idea than this Legends Lee because he's still active. So he's still obviously good enough to be competing, but he also is walking himself slowly towards the door in a very intelligent manner. Yeah, that's something that Brendan Schaub talks about a lot too. There's other avenues for these guys to take, like a podcast or whatever. Right. And then Shab is another perfect example. Like 
granted, he wasn't a fucking world breaker in his time, but he did some notable shit. Like, his fight against Gonzaga wasn't the worst thing ever. Like, he had some skill, and he still does if you follow his Instagram. The kid's still in great fucking shape. He's 30 years old, but he recognized as well that there's a time and point, and part of that was from Rogan giving him the sit-down, but he, he recognized that <laughs> I am that you got to look at other avenues than fighting. That can't be your whole life because that's not a sustainable career forever. I mean, it'd be fun to watch a bunch of knockouts. That's for sure. Very true. Well, and, and speaking of old guys trying to come back and get famous and make knockouts again, Chuck versus Tito three is official. It is sanctioned. It is happening. They officially announced it. Not only have they announced it, but Chuck went, I believe he was on uh, Share Dog last week, and not only said that he is officially coming back and fighting Tito for a third time, but he is already looking so far ahead to think that after the Tito fight, which he is convinced he's just going to easily win, he wants to fight John Jones. Holy shit. He wants to fight John Jones. Yeah, and that's probably the exact reason why they shouldn't let him fight anymore. Exactly. Like, <laughs> White literally came out and said, there's a reason that I made Chuck retire when I did. The fact that he's contemplating coming back against the dude that he had some of his greatest wars with and even contemplating the demolition that Jones is doing right now in his heyday steroids or not whatever your thoughts about that jones is a fucking demon in the octagon and in his prime at that i don't see the chuck versus v, uh, tito three going the way that he thinks it's going to go much less any possibility for him holding a fucking candle to jones right now well the way chuck's jaw was looking in his last fight with rich franklin you might see tito get a knockout you know what i mean well, and that's the thing. Tito's still actively competing right now and looking good. Yeah. There's a whole lot of ring rust that's going to show on the ice, man. I'm just saying, don't get me wrong. I love Chuck Liddell. He was great in his heyday, but I think this is a bad move for him. I mean, he's just going to get himself rattled one more time because, yeah, you beat Tito twice already. I get it. And you did a phenomenal job the first two times. Hell yeah. But right now, that shit ain't going to happen this time around. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. There's no way in fucking hell that he wins this fight. I mean, he still has knockout. I'm sure he still has that one-punch knockout ability, but. Oh, yeah. Well, well but at the same time. Even though freeze is over. You got to think, in, in the last five years, well, just, just for example's sake, in the last five years, He's done more movies and TV shows than he's done fights. Oh, and that's exactly right. Not to mention, um, I'm pretty sure that um, at one point, um, his last couple fights, I think it was three or four in a row where he just got knocked the fuck out. He's not going to stand up to any good solid swings. He was, he had scrambled eggs at the end, at the end there, and that's why he was kind of, ushered out the door. Yep, that's why Dana told him it's time to stop. Yeah. Well, nobody Rich Franklin wants... knocked him out with a broken hand. A yeah. broken forearm, excuse me. Yeah. yeah. Nobody wants to see somebody who's 
of that iconic of a legend when it comes to MMA. Go in there with your scrambled brains and just get beat the fuck up again. What happened was Chuck Liddell got on UFC 3 and started playing as himself. and was like, I still got it. Look at this. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. A possibility. So another, I'm not going to say it's, it's an old, cause it's definitely not in the caliber of the, the legends league gentlemen's we've been talking about, but another, I guess it would be a transition of sorts that has been a, a lot of hype in the last week or two that I am personally literally giddy about watching is Joe Schilling has officially announced that he has left his contract with Bellator kickboxing because there just isn't enough money. And Coker is going to let him make a full conversion to actual Bellator MMA. And his first opponent is going to be Paul Daly. Joe Schilling. He, yeah, he is Joe Schilling is one of my favorite fighters, period. I've followed his kickboxing and Muay Thai for years. And getting to know him a little better through Cowboy and through Mickey Gall and then through him coming through Rogan and then getting just, you know, the Instagram access that we have these days to guys like that. He's one of my absolute favorites and his fucking kickboxing is on another level. And the fact that he is going to bring that to MMA because they can't promote him and make enough money with him in kickboxing. Like, I almost feel that it was better for the Bellator MMA guys that Joe Schilling stayed in kickboxing. If you've ever seen any of his fucking highlight reel finishes, that dude destroys people's fucking faces. And Paul Daly is no fucking slouch by any stretch of the imagination. That dude has dynamite in a fucking glove. But Semtex for a reason. There, that's very true. But as shown in his last fight when he was booing from the ground as he was being held, which everyone knew John Fitch was going to fucking do because that's what John Fitch does, he doesn't have ground game. He's got almost no takedown defense and almost no ground technique, whereas not only is Joe Schilling a world-class kickboxer and Muay Thai fighter, he's a fucking badass black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist. That dude not only has the opportunity to fuck you up on the feet, to fuck you up with his hands or his feet, if it goes to the ground, he can hurt you on the ground or just flat out fucking submit you from any one of dozens of places because he's so smooth with his transitions. I, I almost feel like Paul Daly doesn't understand what he signed up for here. I don't think Paul Daly expected to go to the ground. He's, he's expecting a stand-up war. And uh, a smart fighter is not going to give you what you want. He's going he's gonna to use your disadvantages to his advantage. Absolutely. And, and to that point, that's actually, and I do hate the dude and I'm open about saying that I do fucking hate the dude, but that point exactly there is one of the reasons you kind of have to at least tip your hat a little bit to Woodley when he fought Wonder Boy. We all wanted to see Wonder Boy send Woodley's fucking head flying into the third row bleachers with a spinning fucking heel kick or something. But at the same time, Woodley knew that's what he was going to do. And it was a boring fight, but he fought the fight he had to, to beat Wonder Boy. Yeah. You have to be the champion. You can't just be there. Yep. 
That's exactly it. I, although I can see that fight staying as a stand-up war, I don't think that it will because if it does, somebody's getting knocked the fuck out in the first round. Yeah, that definitely one of those first rounds. With a, you're moving from he's moving from kickboxing to MMA. Those lighter gloves means those hands are coming at a lot quicker speed with a lot more force. Yep. Don't get me wrong. Semtex touches him. He'll go to sleep too. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, you know, it's going to be a – it'll be a war either way, but if it ends up going to the ground, eh, that's it for Semtex because he's got no ground game. He's never had ground game. Not even when he was in the UFC did he have a ground game. Right. No. He was just a knockout artist. That's yes. it. He's getting what he asked for. He even, he even said that. He said, I don't know why you would put me up against John Fitch and, you know. He said it, so he's kind of getting what he asked for, kind of. And I think it it almost has to be that way. Like, I love Paul Daly. I fucking love watching Simtex put people into fucking La La Land. But at the same time, realistically, the dude's a little delusional. Like, he drinks to fucking Kool-Aid a little too heavy. He's on his own <laughs> shit a little too much, in my opinion. Like, dude is legit a bad motherfucker, but at the same time, you have to know your own limitations, and it seems like he is almost at that point of, like, making Connor look down to earth. <laughs> they should have made a trade. They almost should have made a trade with Joe Schilling, uh, send Paul Daly to kickboxing, and Joe yeah. Schilling. Shit, right? <laughs> but... On, on the topic of Bellator, this evening is Bellator 206, and I would be sorely remiss if I didn't take just a moment here to talk about just a couple of the spectacular on-paper fights that we have got going on this evening over there. The, the first one that I just want to take a quick second to mention is that they are kicking off their welterweight Grand Prix, which I think is a much much better idea for Bellator than that, and I'm using air quotes for the people listening, heavyweight Grand Prix that they just put on with what's already half of the Legends League that Vitor is trying to put together, and then a super juiced out Ryan Bader. <laughs> but tonight, they get to kick off their welterweight Grand Prix, and that has some prospects of prospects for badassery in it. And tonight's kickoff is going to be Douglas Lima versus Andre Koroshkov. Talk about fireworks to start your main card off. Lima is an assassin, and Koroshkov is no fucking slouch either. And knowing that this is a move-on if you win tournament, I don't think either one of those dudes are going to leave anything on the table for the judges. I think this is going to come out and be just all-out war from the jump. That's exactly right, too. And when it comes to those you-win-you-move-on type things, you're going to give 110% because there's no way you don't want to go, well, what if I would have done a little bit more? Exactly. They will – they will gas themselves trying to get to the next round. If they really want to be there, they will gas the fuck out of themselves. And it doesn't matter if that gas comes in the end or in the middle of the second round, they're going to be going for broke. Yep. And I feel like a little bit, at least in this situation here, with it being welterweights, which is a very middle-of-the-road 
easy for a lot of guys to hit weight. This is going to be a lot more of an opportunity for Bellator than the Grand Prix for the heavyweights where they had eight dudes. They only had eight dudes, and at least three of them shouldn't have fucking been there to begin with. But with welterweights, I think they said something like 26 different guys are, are opting to potentially fight, and they're still kind of like structuring it as they go because this has got so many more people that can fight in it. It'll be fun to watch, that's for sure, especially to see who rises to the occasion. Absolutely. So Yeah, I like the tournament style, too. I do like that. I wish, I wish UFC would do it sometimes. I, I agree, especially because UFC's got such a huge roster and they have so much trouble putting together so many fight nights that just turn out to be shit shows of fights that should have never been made and stuff that they're just making because they want to put a fight on TV. Uh, I think if the UFC would stop and, and take a look at how well these tournaments can do, there's a lot of dudes, I think, in the UFC that would be down for it. Well, that's a very good point. Even if, let's say, they did want to start adding more weight classes, that's a good way to determine belt holders and right, not to mention shake up. Yeah. you don't have to put those cards like that. If it's a tournament card, don't put it on pay-per-view, put it on your UFC on Fox or on FX or whoever yeah, it is they're using sure. nowadays. Yeah. Whatever the fucking ones it is, even put it on fight pass, those kind of things. That's going to pull some good numbers because people want to see who's that big next up and comer, especially when you're looking at even a big promotion with such a big roster, Bellator, smaller roster, of course, but those people who don't watch as much because they're not paying per paid per view. So they're not seeing the, all of the undercards and what's on the main card. So they don't see who's the up and comers that are making these main cards. This is a good way for them to learn these new fighters that are out there put a fucking tournament together for them. Even if it's for a new weight class or just like Bellator's doing, just make it a fucking tournament. That way you can say, yeah, you fucking earned it. Yeah. It's just a good way to get people uh, more immersed in the MMA world and learning who these new fighters are and who looks good with what. I think you would get your super fights there too. Like if they did a 170, uh, in UFC, a 170 tournament, you think, I, I absolutely think maybe Conor McGregor would go into there to get that belt, you know? You, you might get your super fights out of that. Well, and that's actually one of the things that, um, I don't remember if it was Luke, one of the guys from MMA Fighting was talking about that this week. As, as ridiculous as it is for Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier to keep pretending and talking about how they're fighting for the 165 belt at 230, which Dana's already confirmed isn't a real thing. As ridiculous of a statement as that is, if they actually went ahead and even just let them fight at 165, maybe not for the belt, but maybe to introduce the weight class and be like the first official 165 fight, that sets up the potential for them to do even just a small amount of restructuring just to set that 165, 75, 55 range. That gives them room realistically. And of course, this is looking a little ahead with wishful thinking, but that gives someone the chance like Conor McGregor, who's already had the 145 and the 155 belt maybe isn't quite big enough to go to 170 with some of the dudes up there, but could most definitely hold his own and potentially go after a 165 belt 
and be the first triple champ in UFC history. Mm -hmm. That's a realistic possibility. And that'd be a smart move, too. That'd definitely increase uh, fan production. People want to see people fight, you know? And like you said, McGregor's not a 170, no matter how much he thinks he can do it. It's just you got guys cutting from 210 pounds to fight at 170. And it would also eliminate the risk of cutting so much weight for these fights. So be a lot less fights called off because people a can't make weight or they get fucked up during the weight cut that they end up having to pull from the card. I mean, even go as far as a T city and fucking Oh, Hawaiian boy himself. there getting pulled from the card because I'm pretty sure even though they did never come out and say it, that was probably a weight cut issue. So, I mean, Anybody who but I, I I agree with you, TJ. Uh, I mean, look at the interview he had. He he was with it, but he wasn't. So I don't think it was a concussion issue. I think that was a weight cut problem where you're not firing on all cylinders because when you go and you're in that last what do they do usually week or two where they really start piss pounding the weight off. Yep, that's a. That's a weight cut issue. When you do stuff like that to your body, your brain does not function the same way. So, of course, they're going to say concussion because it looks like a concussion. But I really don't think it was that. I think it had a lot to do with the weight cut because, don't get me wrong, we all know he can make weight. He'd been doing it. Yeah, He'd been doing it for a long time. Then he's kicking ass and taking names. I mean, took on fucking one of the – best pound for pound fighters of all time not once but twice and made him look like trash yeah beat the break like, he, he made him look bad you you don't do that to Aldo at all nobody does that so I'm just saying that's there's a weight cut problem there with that where they really should implement a couple of new weight classes to alleviate that problem I mean there's still going to be some idiots that do it right but it, it'll probably make it a lot better because there will be a lot of people that say, you know what, I walk around at 175. I don't want to have to cut to 155. Yep. Why would I not just fight at 175 on natural weight class for me? I'm going to feel better while I'm in there and have a hell of a lot more gas tank. And I'll be fighting guys that are more than likely going to be doing the same exact thing. Well, and then literally, uh, I don't remember if it was yesterday or the day before yesterday, uh, they did an interview with GSP who is watching this whole thing from the wings because he's still dealing with an ulcerative colitis flare up that really fucked him up after Bisping, but he's almost back to good. He says, and getting his, his medication back under wraps and getting himself back to normal and getting his diet back to normal. He says he's walking around, waking up in the morning at one eighty-two. naturally, no training camp, no weight cut, just walking around at one eighty-two. That wouldn't be shit for somebody of GSP's caliber to cut to 165 because he talked about going to 155 and Dana told him flat out, no, he fought at 170. It wouldn't be shit for him to make 165. And that opens up a whole different can of worms for potential super fights there. Especially if you talk about a potential tournament style with all the big names that might come to 165, you need somebody to light the firework keg off. GSP's the name that'll do it. Oh yeah. Guaranteed. 
Not to mention the UFC needs it. If anybody's looked at their numbers over the last two years, they've been on a steady decline. Yes, I know they signed that massive deal with ESPN, so their stock value is way up. Right. But viewership totals, way down. You need those GSPs. You need Connor to be back. You need Jones to be back. Because guess what? Those are your massive pulls that people are tuning in to watch. That's why your shit went so far up through the roof, because you had so many names. Now, they're starting to dwindle, where there's not those people that are – great with the media always say the right things and are producing when they get in the cage they need that in their life excuse me i agree um i think we're at a point now and uh dana even talked about it a little bit once upon a time but he hasn't really addressed it recently but it Honestly, from a fan's perspective, from a fan of MMA's perspective, because as we can tell, we're talking back and forth, UFC, Bellator, kickboxing. I love them all, man. I love fucking combat sports. I love martial arts. I love the mental chess aspect of it. As someone who's a fan of fighting in combat in general, the UFC is, is losing a step, realistically. I'm not saying by any sense of the imagination or any stretch that they're dying, the company is, is falling off, but they're losing a step. The prime heydays of the UFC when it was nothing but fucking killers and big-name bangers and guys that were willing to do three interviews a week while they were in training camp, those days are over. Most of those guys have either retired or they're coaches or they've just completely stepped out of the game to be family men. That's, that's one of the reasons I like the UFC series that they do on Fight Pass, Where Are They Now?, is because you get to catch up with some of these guys that help make the name UFC a household recognizable thing. The guys that brought guys like us to following this sport as close as we do aren't in the picture anymore. And as much as there is very, very much a young crop of up-and-coming fighters that are stepping up to take those reins, realistically, the UFC is maybe a third of the actual star power that they had in their prime. And it feels to me at least like they're in a little bit of a scramble to try and help, you know, hurry up and build new stars to take the place of all the guys that have almost waterfalled out of the mainstream. And it's almost like they're putting too many eggs in the wrong basket and, and not looking at the overall picture. They're focusing too much on the Connor, too much on the DC versus Brock. Like, yeah, big super fights are fun, but, it feels to me at least like they're missing out on the base a little bit of what made it so great. On, on that note, Brock Lesnar shouldn't even be coming back to get a title fight. That's just such BS in, in my opinion. There's too many people in line that have been putting in the work that deserve to be there. And it's just a shame. It is. It really is. That's more than a shame. That's fucking travesty. A, because you know what? If anybody still deserves that title fight, it's still Miocic. Guess what? He has the longest run of title defenses in heavyweight history. There is no one more. Even pre-title. The four fights that got him that title shot, he put away four massive names in a row. Yeah. Getting the title to begin with. There is no one in that division. Period. I will say it right now. No one in the heavyweight division that deserves that shot more than he does. If I was him, I would be raised in hell. I would do everything in my fucking power 
to just go in there and get that fight called off somehow because that's fucking ridiculous. The problem about that is that's not who Miocic is, though. Like, uh, the only reason he didn't get recognition before those four fights is because he's not one to talk shit. He's not one to get in somebody's face. And no, he's a he's a, yeah, he's an amazing down to earth fucking. The dude still works as a firefighter while he's fighting. Yep, he's still taking care of the community he lives in, and holding a professional career as a fucking mixed martial artist. There is nobody else that does shit like that you see all these guys that are pro the big names running in the top rankings they don't have other jobs their job is to go to the gym and train no you know the only person i can think of sorry to cut you off uh demetrius johnson he held a full-time job while he was champion but then him and his coach sat down and was like hey this is full-time or no time you know what i mean and, and I guess I guess technically you could say Ally Aquenta as well. He he's a, he's in the rankings because he does real estate as well. But I mean, <laughs> there's there's one that's don't get me wrong. Real estate is a full time job if you're right. pushing and selling. Yeah, and I'm sure he could sell a fucking ice cube to an Eskimo, guaranteed. But I'm going. There's nobody else in that heavyweight division that deserves that shot more than me. That more than him. That pisses me off so goddamn much that oh, we're gonna let this turn into the WWE. Get the fuck out of here. You take your sorry fucking blonde cock on your chest tattooed ass. Get the fuck out of the octagon and go earn it like everybody else did. You've earned it before. We know you can do it, but go back and do it again. Because you know what? You've been away way too fucking long. You've pissed hot one too many times. I don't give a fuck. You don't deserve to be there. Yes, I know there's a money draw there. I'm still going to watch it because as much as I don't like DC, I hope he beats the fucking brakes off of your sorry ass and you don't come back into the octagon ever again. Well, and and to that point, I think I I agree with you 100%. Stipe is one of my favorite fucking fighters ever has been long since before he touched that fucking belt when he was still a fresh baby face goofy looking giant motherfucker first getting his crack i love that son of a bitch his style is just fuck it speaks to me he is and i don't mean to be you know in this me too time but he is a man's man in every sense of the word is in terms of a fighter's representative he stands for morals he's not a shit talker he's going to stand there and let you run your mouth and then he's going to let his actions do the talking and i love that and i feel at least from my point of view, he knows how big of a shit show that this is about to unfold. And I think he is purposefully just going to take this time because he just had a new baby as well on top of all the other insanity that's going on. I think he's going to take this time. He's going to do his firefighter work like he does. He's going to spend some time with his wife. And when this Lesnar DC thing turns into the shit show dumpster fire, we all know it's going to be, he's going to be standing there in the wings and say, well, I'm healthy and I'm ready. And if anyone deserves the next fight to be promoted, and then you don't have a choice at that point. Who else are you going to put in after DC and Brock are both done and they're going to be out for a while because somebody's getting hurt? What's the next big heavyweight fight you make? And what's the chances that um, Brock doesn't even make the card because he pisses hot again? Exactly. And then you got to have somebody that's willing to and deserving of being able to step in on a short notice to fight for that belt. When has Stipe ever not been ready? You know, and I, I have this strange gut feeling when it comes to Brock 
that last card where he pissed hot that he fought on, he pissed hot before the fight. Yep. Is that shit going to get swept under again and then dealt with afterwards? That's fucking inexcusable. I don't think they can this time because the Mark Hunt lawsuit is still active right now from that. Yeah. And I, I think they must have to like, legitimately hold Brock to the fucking fire, hold his feet to the fire. And realistically, you know as well as I do, that dude don't do so well when you put his toes next to the heat. Nope. I feel like there's at least a little chance that this might fall apart at the last minute and give Stipe the rematch that he should fucking gotten immediately. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think of Brock Lesnar, and it's like it, my mind goes back to the Kane Velasquez fight where Kane is not the same caliber wrestler as DC is, and Kane out wrestled Brock Lesnar. You know what I mean? Handily. And now we can now we see that DC can knock you out with one punch. Like I just and through a wrestler setup at that. That's one of yeah, the things that Dominic Cruz made a point to mention at the end of that fight when everybody was watching the replay. The move that DC used to set Stipe up, that arm limp that he slid out of, DC or DC, Dominic Cruz DC was actually calling that as it was happening because it's one of those basic wrestling moves that in, it translates into MMA. Dominic Cruz saw it coming and was screaming about it. And that's one of those things. If DC can wrestle as good, even remotely, to Kane, Brock's in serious fucking trouble just from that alone. But enough DC talk, because fuck that guy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the next fight on Bellator 206, to get back to that point, Aaron fucking Pico is fighting tonight. You want to talk about an up-and-comer with a fucking hand that will put people into the zone. Leandro, he go, you know, he's not terrible. I don't think he's on Pico's level, though. That dude has a squatting step that just you almost can't get out of the way of quick enough. I think that's going to be – it's one of those fights I feel like is getting slept on more than it should be is what I'll say. <laughs> Okay. It seems like a fun card tonight. It does. It really does. And then following that, you've got one of the two holy shit fights, the one that we were already talking about before we started fucking recording, Gegard Mousasi versus Rory McDonald for the middleweight belt. Holy fucking shit. This card, the card, this fight could have, and in my opinion, should have taken place in the UFC before either one of these dudes were let go but props for fucking Bellator putting this shit together because these two realistically, in my opinion, are two of the best current active middleweight fighters in any organization. And I think Musasi has got the edge. I think tonight he comes out with the belt. No, not to say that McDonald doesn't have his share of talents. I just feel like Musasi is the underrated sleeper in this situation here. And I think it's going to be fucking banging. But I think Musasi comes out with the belt tonight. He is the current title holder, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, Rory is coming to challenge. He said that he is coming to make it the era of the Red King, and I don't see yeah, it. Well, he, he's challenged for a lot of titles, and he hasn't won one yet, so I'm just saying. 
Yeah. <laughs> he does have a tendency to crack under pressure once he yeah. gets to that top spot. Yep, that's what I said. He's He's got the talents, and anybody who's seen the him and fucking Robbie Lawler fight, dude, talk about a fucking roar of two dudes who were willing to lay everything in the octagon with Rory having his fucking nose busted and Robbie's lips split in half and he spit the blood at him. Like... That made you primally fucking scream when you watched that fucking fight because that was the definition of two dudes going to war. But that's not the Rory that we're looking at today either. This Rory is more interested in doing interviews and turtlenecks and being pretentious for cameras. And Gegard's not that dude. Gegard is that silent killer that he gets in the ring and he puts fucking work in. Well, Gegard's smart. You know, he's a very intelligent human being. He's, he's got and <laughs> it, it translates when he fights. I mean, it really does. His, his MMA IQ is through the roof. And I, I just don't see Rory having an answer for that. I mean, you gotta, I, I remember when he was first brought onto the scene in the UFC when he was 18 and he was fighting professionally as a teenager. And his experience is there. I just don't think he has the mental uh, – uh, I'm, I'm searching for a word, a word, but I can't find it. Uh, Fortitude. He's not on the same. He's not on the same level. You know, he's not on the same level. I agree. That very well could be. You never know what happens on fight night. You know, I'll play devil's advocate on this one. Uh, I, to be honest, even though Rory does have a tendency to fold once he gets to that top slot. I think with as much as his game has evolved since he's left the UFC and where he is now, he has a very, very strong possibility of pulling this out. Uh, do I think he will? Not necessarily, but I still think he's got a really good shot. Like right now, I would, I would probably call this a 70-30 just because I can't give it a whole 60-40 on saying that um, – Rory's got a 40% chance of winning this. He's probably got about 30, so it's about a one in three shot, I would say. But I still yeah. think he has he has enough in him. And if he, if he gets away from being that pretentious cocksucker to actually going out there and doing what he does best, which is throw fucking leather, be ready to go to war, if he's that guy tonight, yeah, sure. You can take your Red King garbage and throw that shit out the window because that sounds like dick in a jar. But fuck, go in there and actually throw leather. Be ready to beat somebody's ass. Be ready to take damage like you did in the Lawler fight. We know you can do it. It's going to be a grappling match. There's no doubt in my mind this is going to end up being a lot of grappling in this fight. I agree. I agree. And I think part of that is because – that's why I was saying. I, I'm not saying that Rory has no skills by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like Rory is severely underestimating the ground game of Gegard, and that is a fatal fucking mistake for anyone because while that dude is primarily known for his striking, that dude's submission and ground game is, like, secretly terrifying. He's smooth as not. Well, yeah, with a dude that smooth in his transitions and that strong in his fucking jujitsu, like I get that Rory's got it too, but like you're saying, there's levels, man, and I don't think Rory is on the same level as Gegard here. Interesting, very interesting. I think I, I'm more on the um, 
I like Roy McDonald a lot, and I think I, – I don't know if I've ever watched a Gagar Misasi fight now that I think about it. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just a big fan of Rory. Yeah, I, I know he's uh, he's not liked by everybody, but I do like how he fights. And I guess it's also the um, – I think there's a lot uh, a lot of talk behind him, especially with GSP saying what he says about him and everything like that. But it makes it more interesting for me to watch because I actually thought that Rory – Rory isn't the underdog, though, right? He is. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he is, is the okay. underdog here. Like, the, the people, by and large, are expecting Musasi to walk through him tonight. So, he's, he's – this is one of the only times in his career where he has been, like, the flat-out underdog. Like, he's got his core group of fans that support him, obviously, but all the fucking Vegas numbers and all the pros are, are expecting Gegard to, to take this one. Yeah, it's always interesting with Rory because he's beaten the UFC champ. It's just – it's always interesting. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, and then the last thing that I've got to talk about here for, for the Bellator card for this evening, it brings us back full circle to that air quote Legends League shit that we were talking about earlier. Another fight that many of us, I'm sure, will agree realistically shouldn't be happening. But for some fucking reason, it's gonna. Rampage versus Vandalay 4 is happening tonight. You want to talk about a pair of bloated, has-been... It's a heavyweight, right? Butts. Like, this is one of those fights that I think, much like Tito and Chuck... But I think this is another one of those type of fights that, in their prime, there's a reason they already fought three times. In their prime, these two dudes put on some fucking spectacular, like, bar-setting matches. But at the same time, they're both in their 40s, and they are far from their prime. And just watching them walk around, they both have that Cartman puffed-up dick. <laughs> like, that's not what you want a fighter to look like. Like, I get there's a lot of dudes that have to cut down to make 265. Those dudes look like they're going to be like Conor McGregor at 145 skeleton skinny just to hit 265 from the frame that they're both walking around with now. And realistically, neither one of them dudes have done shit worth really talking about in the last two, three, maybe five years. Like I agree. I agree. Uh, Rampage, the last uh... – Picture I saw them like a stare down. Rampage looks huge, bloated, huge. Not like oh yeah, getting the gym jacked. And I think in this level of their career, is there wasn't another match to make for them. You know what I mean? They both they were both willing to sign on the dotted line. And I know after watching the last fight, Silva wants redemption because Rampage ducked and knocked him the fuck out, and then landed a couple on him. You know what I mean? So I, I, I can see why you want, even though Rampage got his ass tore up the first two, if I remember correctly. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's appealing, you know, but it's these are two guys that were fighting at a, a much higher pace, uh, a lower weight. They were in their primes, you know. And uh, this, is, uh, this is the kind of fight I would expect to see on the uh, Vitor Belfort 
uh, Legends fight. This this is the kind of fight I'd expect to see. Same with Chuck and Tito. Right. I'm 100% behind that. I, I look at this and, yeah, don't get me wrong, I want to watch it just because they are who they are. But at the same time, this brings up a, a point that I've always thought about with Bellator when they, um, in case you're listening, I'm air quoting here, poach fighters from the UFC. Yep. There's excellent things about it, and there's really bad things about it. This is one of those bad things. You're getting old, worn-out fighters. Don't get me wrong. They still have very strong followings because they are who they are. They're still legends in the sport in their own rights. But why are they fighting? Why? I mean, even I'll go as far as to say this, not directly about this fight, but look at – um. What was his fucking name? Fighting damn near 50 years old. Um, Randy Couture? Randy Couture. Yes. He could still fight. Yes. Did I want to keep watching an almost 50-year-old man get beat up? No. There's a point when these promotions need to step in and go, you know what, guys? We love what you've done. Your careers were fantastic. But we're not going to let you guys fight anymore because it's just not worth it to you not to us because it's worth it to them but to you well and that's exactly what dana did to chuck which is what fucks me up so much about these promotions who are willing to step you know and grab that name and try and make that money dana white publicly said as a friend of chuck liddell's regardless of the promoter or promotion controller as a friend of chuck liddell's he told him to stop fighting 10 years ago and now you're talking about two dudes, and, and this is just me blowing smoke out my ass here. What it seems like to me is that Rampage just lost at the thing that he is known for wrestling against Chael Sonnen. And to my recollection, <laughs> he still hasn't made that payment because Chael bet him 10 grand per takedown and then hit four. So to my knowledge, he still hasn't paid up on that. But at the same time, the last time that Vandy just got his ass handed to him was by that same shit-talking American gangster, Chael Sonnen, who is currently getting ready to fight Fedor for the, air quotes, heavyweight Grand Prix. To me, it seems like this is not warranted, but it feels like what they're doing is setting up, either way it goes, a challenge rematch against Chael. And again, this is one of those all four of these fucking guys we're talking about shouldn't be fighting actively, but it feels like with them being on the promotion and Bellator running the way they are, with Chael going against Fedor, of all fucking people, for the current heavyweight Grand Prix championship and both Rampage and Vandy losing their last match to Chael, it kind of feels like they're, they're stacking the dominoes up to fall into place for you know at least a couple more fights to pull out here. Yeah, and that, and that right there is enough for me to say it. I don't want to watch those because that's just a money grab. It's not about the fighters themselves trying to better their careers. Their careers were already great. You can't better them anymore. All you're doing is tarnishing their legacy by letting them continue to fight and look sloppy. Look just, and it's not, I can't, when I say sloppy, I mean sloppy compared to what they did look like. They're not going to look. They're not going to look bad because they've been doing this for so long, but it's going to look sloppy and compared to 
10, 15 years ago when these guys were in their prime. Absolutely. I mean, you look back to the early 2000s, these guys were fucking murdering people, each and every one of them. Now, they can't beat each other. Now they're murdering Golden Corral buffets. Yeah. <laughs> it almost it almost feels like you shouldn't even put a winner or a loss on their record. Like, it's almost like you don't even want to look at them like that. Like, you don't want to, you know, if, if you finish 10 and, or, you know, whatever, 15 and 3, and then you go on for this this long amount of time and you get a five and four record. You don't even want to put that on there. Like you don't right, want to make it exhibition status. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree, man. I just I don't know sometimes. But that being the last event for this evening's Bellator two oh six. That brings us to the bread and butter, the thing that we are here to talk the main point about, the thing that I know at least a couple of our fans are going to tune in just to hear our thoughts about. Next weekend's UFC 229, Khabib versus Connor. This, in my opinion, and I know it gets said a lot. It does. It really does. But I'm going to say it again, and I don't give a shit because I'm such a fucking fan of everything this card is turning out to be this event as a whole is going to be in my opinion the current largest MMA event to date history period overall this is going to blow out every fucking record pay-per-view admissions the whole kit and caboodle pirated streams I think this card more than any other card in history to date is going to set that golden standard for what you can do when you've got the proper buildup for an event. And I want to start at the very tip top with something that we have already talked a little bit about before we started the show here, a beautiful, brilliant strategic move and the dumbest fucking thing you could have ever done at the same time. The early prelims, Opening fight, Gray Maynard versus Nick Lentz. Holy shit. Now, you want to talk about, on one hand, a pair of fighters who maybe not so much in the UFC, but for overall career longevity, have miles of experience more than almost any other name you could talk about. But at the same time, on that other hand, two unbelievably talented and potential just world breakers are going to kick off the early prelim card. I'm both super fucking excited for this fight and mad as hell that they made it the first fight of the night when there's going to be seven people in the fucking arena to watch it. (laughs) Realistically, it's guys like us who are going to be watching the early stuff kick off as soon as it starts and then those six people who managed to get in because their friends got them better tickets than they thought they did, who are going to be able to see this fight. And in my opinion, realistically, this could be one of the best fights of the entire night. What do you guys think? And it does have the skill set to be one of the best nights of the fight. And in my opinion, I'm leaning towards Nick Lentz. I think he's a little hotter right now. He, uh, has had better action in the in the cage. He's proven that his wrestling's there. Uh, with Gray Maynard, uh, the only fight that comes to mind as recent as that Ryan Hall fight, which was 
I love Ryan Hall to death, but that was the, one of the most boring things I've watched in a long time, besides uh, Francis Nagano and Derek Lewis. Uh, <laughs> I think Nick Lentz is just more well-rounded, and he's going to take this one. That's, that's, how, that's how I feel, and I could be wrong. I mean, we know Gray Maynard's wrestling's there. He has a puncher's chance. Uh, I just don't see it going in, in Maynard's favor. I, I tend to agree with you here. And as you could probably tell by the way I introduced this fight, introduced, introduced words, the way I brought this fight up, I'm a huge fan <laughs> of both of these gentlemen. I, I fucking absolutely love watching either one of them step into the cage. Like you said, aside from that weird fucking Ryan Hall match that I kind of just like shake my head and look past. But aside from that, both of these dudes have fucking unbelievable skill sets but I, I tend to see the same thing that you do here. I think that Nick Lentz just has a little more heat in him. I, I know Gray Maynard is a bad motherfucker. His wrestling is there. He's got the striking power, but it just – it almost seems like Lentz wants this victory a little bit more. Got a more percentage of, of finishes, uh, Nick does. Yep. 11 by submission, 7 by knockout. Yeah. Yeah. They both got resumes, though. They both got awesome wins. Oh, just yeah, both. Neither one of those two fighters are slouches by either any sense of them, any sense of it at all. I mean, both of them have been there for a very long time. I mean, Gray Maynard had some of the greatest wars that you'll ever see. I mean, Nick Lentz. Same fucking thing. They have some phenomenal, phenomenal fights that they've both been in. Lentz definitely been a lot more active than Maynard lately, so I think that that's going to play a huge role in this. And Lentz is probably going to end up taking it. As much as I'm a big fan of Gray Maynard, I really do like Maynard, but I don't think that he's going to pull it off. He's just, I just don't think that he's got what it takes in this fight in order to beat Nick Lentz. It's just not happening for him. I mean, there is always that puncher's chance, like you said, but chances that, that's why they call it a chance. It's not a given. It's like going fishing. It's not called catching. Same concept. Very true. Very true. So the follow-up fight coming right off of those fireworks Interesting is the only word that I can think will aptly describe the next fight. It is Lena, the elbow queen Landsberg, versus Yana Kunitskaya. Now, Lena Landsberg is a bad pitch in her own right. They don't call her the elbow queen because she's only thrown one or two. She's a bad, bad girl. But on the other hand, the only thing that we have ever seen, at least in terms of the UFC, from Yana was when they used her as cannon fodder up against Cyborg. And granted, she landed a couple. Not spectacular, not world-ending. But you also have to take that with a grain of salt because she was fighting Cyborg, for fuck's sake. That roided out terrifying chimpanzee with red hair scares the shit out of me as a grown 300-pound man, let alone another 145-pound woman who didn't really seem to understand 
who and what Cyborg was when she got in the ring with her. So it's like, on one hand, Yana could come out and just, you know, break the fucking internet. But on the other side, we've seen what happens when Cyborg puts the work to girls before. Like, can she come back even against somebody, you know, against a fucking Lena Landsberg here who isn't a Cyborg by any stretch, but is no slouch in her own right. Like, she's got sharp little things right here on both sides, and I've seen her split faces with them. But she also isn't on a cyborg level like Yana just came off of. So it's like, this is really a pick em fight for me here because Landsberg's no slouch, but Yana really didn't get to showcase a whole lot because they threw her to the wolves right out of the gate. Like, I don't really know how to feel about this fight. That's a that's a tough one. Go ahead, Mike. No, I was gonna say I couldn't have said that any better myself. I, it's 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 gonna be important to see how she comes off that loss uh, and fighting a woman who's not nearly as physically strong and capable. Uh, so it's it, it's a throw up. I mean, it's it really is. Yeah, that's right along the same lines. Of what I was gonna say to you know, coming off of a loss like that. Does she come back on? Yeah, I'm not fighting a man anymore, so I can go back to uh, what I would normally do in there. Will Yana be able to pull that off in her mindset? Because I know I don't give a fuck what woman it is you put her up against. The cyborg is a complete animal. She's a fucking man. She's built like a man. She hits like a man. Guaranteed she could walk into any of our houses. She wants to knock us out. One done. She's a game ender. I wouldn't want to fight her. You know, that's for damn sure. You couldn't pay me enough to get in in and fucking take any punches from her. No, no. I don't give a fuck if you're telling me I'm going to be a multimillionaire ten times over. No. So that one, I think this is all going to – this fight – is I'll call it a coin flip as long as Yana can get out of her own head from that loss to Cyborg. If she if she's not out of that mindset, though, she's going to end up losing. I can definitely, definitely agree with that. So moving along from that, the next one that I want to talk about here is the opening fight for the actual prelim card. I think it's I, – I don't want to say they did this on purpose, but if they did this on purpose, this is really fucking smart. So after Lena Landsberg and Yana fight, they're opening the prelims with Tanya Evinger versus Aspen Ladd. They're taking the girl who just lost to Cyborg and putting her on the end of the early prelims and then putting the last girl that just lost to Cyborg and letting her open the regular prelims. Now, the interesting thing about this fight is that Aspen Ladd's last victory, she just beat Lisa Landsberg, who's fighting Yana on the early prelim card. So this is another one of those, like we were talking about with Vandalay and Chael and Rampage earlier. This feels to me like they're almost in front of us setting up another one of those not a rematch against Cyborg per se, but trying to put a little more stock or a little more presence 
into the 145 women's division here because obviously Cyborg and Amanda are tied up for December. That's going to happen. So that's not the fight that's coming from the result to either one of these two matches. But when you've got Yana, who just lost to Cyborg, fighting against Landsberg, and then Tanya, who's fighting against Aspen, Aspen just beat Lena, Tanya just lost to Cyborg, there's a nice little Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, Katzengano-esque ladies triangle of battles that's developing here, regardless of what happens with Cyborg, because this is Cyborg's last fight on her contract, and she's made it pretty publicly known that regardless of how the Amanda fight comes out, she's not going to sign again with UFC because she doesn't believe she's getting the promotion she should be. She's going to go back and take over Invicta again, which, you know, props to her. If that makes better sense for your career, far be it for me to tell you how to handle your career if you know what you're doing. But at the same time, with the impact that she's made from these two fights alone in that 145-pound division for the ladies, it feels like these two fights are setting up a whole nother little wheel like we had back in the prime of the 125-pound women's division when they first came, or 135 rather, when they first came out and started really making a name for women's MMA. They had a core group of ladies who were just constantly swapping back and forth at the top of the heap. And not to say that Yana and Tanya are top of the heap ladies, but as far as the 145 division, there's really not that many ladies there to begin with. So if you're active and you're fighting, when Cyborg dips out, you may only have to contend with Amanda, who we've already seen doesn't like to fight more than once a year if she doesn't have to. So that leaves a lot of room, in my opinion, for the ladies' 145 division to, to use some of these fights and these ladies in particular to start helping get a little more momentum behind this division and bring a little more presence to the fact that there's more than just Rose and Amanda and now Valentina in the ladies' side of the UFC. and they're starting to bring a little presence to it towards more than just a name that women's MMA in the UFC is known for. Yeah. I like, I, I've really enjoyed the female fights at UFC. Um, they're always so competitive. Like if, if cyborg isn't in it, but right. it's just, they're always such good fights. They're just so evenly matched and just it's pretty cool to see it. It started to come up a little more. Because that's a good fight, too. Both of them fights are really good fights. I think so. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they play out. It'll definitely shuffle things up in that division a little bit, too, no matter which way they play out, which will be – it'll be good for the division, help them gain a lot more traction. Well, and really, I think it's going to be good for both divisions because if you look at the way, at least over the last, say, year, year and a half have been unfolding with – everything that Holly's been through both 135 and 45 she fucking peaked and valid peaked and valid peaked and valid but half the reason that she did what yeah did that was because of Valentina Amanda and Cyborg yeah. Valentina's going down to take over 125 Cyborg's leaving Amanda's going up to 145 at the same time, they're, they're bringing presence to the 145. They're also leaving a little bit of a vacuum in the 135 division. So it, it's like Rose is the champ down on the low end. She's not going anywhere for a minute, but anybody they put against her is going to have a fucking war. We now know for a fact that we've got Valentina versus Joanna, who is running from Rose. I don't care what anybody fucking says. Valentina versus Joanna 
for the 125 division belt, which is going to be fucking great because they've already fought three times in Muay Thai and Valentina beat that ass. So that's going to be a 125 lockup, which is going to bring attention to that new division. And then 145 has got Cyborg versus Amanda for the super fight, which Amanda has already said that assuming she wins, she's just going to stay at 145. It's less of a cut for makes more sense. And then Cyborg's leaving either way. So there's just enough of a vacuum with just enough big name fights. Women's UFC MMA is really starting to make a, a boom for itself. And that makes me really happy as well. Yeah. Okay, and then <laughs> after Zombie Mom's fight comes one of the two peak interest fights, in my opinion, that are going to be on this card. Sergio Pettis versus Formiga, the younger Pettis brother, who is currently ranked number two is making his, what I feel, he is here to try and stake his claim as the next worthy title shot after what I think should be the Henry versus DJ rematch, but may in reality end up being Henry versus TJ. That fight being just taken out and removed, the next legitimate 125 contender, in my opinion, assuming he doesn't get worked like a part-time job the next weekend, is going to be Sergio Pettis. Now, Formiga is nothing to just disregard. The dude is quick as fuck. And he's sneaky with his movement, too. The dude can ride the bike the whole fucking match, and you'll never catch him. But Sergio, I think, is the Pettis brother that people should have been watching all along. I get that Showtime was the big name that he brought, the, you know, put the asses in seats. But just over watching the two brothers' careers Overall, I feel like Sergio, is, again, assuming he doesn't get his ass handed to him, I think that Sergio is the Pettis brother to watch. And I think realistically, he wins next weekend, and then he's the guy standing at the doorway waiting to hear what the hell they're going to do with the 125-pound belt next. Assuming TJ comes down and that super fight happens and TJ doesn't stay at 125 because he likes the 35 range, let them have their super fight. I don't give a shit. And then when we're back to talking seriously about 125 again, I think aside from the DJ Henry rematch or DJ TJ, if that's how it folds, I think Sergio realistically is the next name you have to fucking put in that position. Yeah, if Sergio wins uh, next weekend, I don't think he has what it takes to beat Henry, though. I could see either side of that realistically. And and I I'm not gonna make any bones about it. I don't fucking like Henry Cejudo. I didn't like Henry Cejudo when he first came into the OC. I don't like him now. Seeing the bullshit posts that he makes about sleeping next to the fucking belt and shit, the dude's beyond fucking tacky. That being said, he holds the belt right now. I don't agree with how he got it, but he holds the belt right now. Hey, a takedown will win you the belt. I think with the skill set that Cejudo has, I think Sergio could beat him, realistically. I don't think it would be an easy sweep by any sense. But I think Sergio could take Henry. Now, on the other side of that coin, as much as I love Sergio, and I do, I don't think he stands a snowball's chance in hell against DJ. Nope. 
Not at all. I I love love Sergio. And definitely not yeah. TJ. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not a there's you said it exactly. There is not a snowball's chance in hell that he beats DJ if it does get to that point. Um, and I'm not going to say he's going to walk through Formiga this coming weekend because he's not. That's that's not a person you're going to walk through. He's going to have to put in work. He's going to have to take his licks in order to make all of that come to fruition. Do I think he can beat Cejudo? Yes. I think that without a shadow of a doubt. Yes, Cejudo knows that, oh, I can just take somebody down and they'll give me a fucking um, title. Or I'll keep my title just because I can ride them out. Cough, DC, cough. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it, it, he's the he is the DC of the one twenty five pound division, in my opinion. Because you watch a lot of his fights. Yes, his skill set's gotten better since the first time that DJ beat him. Yep. But he, the only thing that won him that fight was takedowns. He didn't do anything. Like DJ still looked fresh, like he could go another fucking ten rounds. Yep. So you so you wrote his ass. You thought you were Khabib. Get the fuck out of here. I think D, I think DJ was tired of being champion, in my opinion. Like, you, did you see how happy he looked when he left that cage? Well, he also he also is another one that just had a baby. He literally just had a brand new baby as well. So, I think real similar to the Stipe conversation we were having earlier. I think this is another one of those situations. He sees the bullshit. He sees the writing on the wall. He's going to sit back. He's going to enjoy some time with his baby. He's still got the mighty stream going on Twitch. He's still got a Zevia sponsorship. He's not hurting for money in any stretch of the imagination. He's got plenty of fucking irons in the fire. So he's going to sit back here and he's going to let Henry play this game and make a fucking fool of himself, which he's clearly doing. And he's going to let the division shake for a minute. And then when Dana starts to get ruffled and realize that no one's paying attention to the little guys anymore and nobody gives a flying fuck about Henry, you need something to get that fire stoked again. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call Mighty Mouse. Here he comes to save the day. Exactly. You know, that right there brings in a good point. They, I, that might be another reason why I think, I think he may, I won't say he threw the fight because I know he didn't. But him looking so happy when he was done, they never promoted him the way he should have been promoted ever. Absolutely. I think that realistically, not to cut you off, I think that honestly is one of the biggest fucking travesties in the history of the 25 years of the UFC. It's a great organization. It's brought us plenty of great fighters. But if you think back to all the big name fighters, every big name, every guy that you can think of when they talk about that pound for pound goat list, every dude, super promotion, except one. You never see them in the history of his fucking unbelievable title reign. You never saw them push Mighty Mouse the way they for a champion of his fucking caliber. And you know what makes me, what it really makes me wonder is he goes, how long he, he ran the tables there. He, he ran through the division more than once. And yet no promotion. Do you think that the 125 pounders oh, they're not a job because they're not knocking people out and people want to tune in to watch Donkouts. No, the real fans don't care if you're knocked out, if you're submitted, whatever the case is. We want to see a good fight. 
I don't give a shit if you knock the guy out. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing them, but that's not what gets me to tune in. I tune in because I like watching the way that this person fights, how quickly, and 125, they're never boring. Never. Those guys have gas tanks for fucking years. They'll out gas tank anybody. They just don't get tired. They keep going. So that occasional knockout you see in the 125 division, to be honest, most of the time, I don't even call that puncher's chance. That's fucking winning the lottery luck. Because, A, they're small. So, yeah, they're not going to have as much punch force as somebody who's in the fucking heavyweight division that can one-shot you and walk off, uh, uh, okay, uh, Mark Hunt-esque. But there's – for that division, it's about – watching how precise they are the way that they move it's phenomenal like you look at them they're the ideal fighters in my opinion to watch because a they're doing everything very quickly but they're so precise about it anybody who is in that top 10 ranking it doesn't matter who they are in that division they are on point they do not look sloppy they're just so tuned in Whereas you look at those big heavyweights, no, no. Um, I'm not even going to mention them because some of them are on the card, and I'll talk about them later. But um, some of those guys, they're out there just throwing haymakers. They don't have any form. They're fucking sloppy overhand rights, shit like that. Yeah, that's fun to watch because I like watching big guys bang, but I like watching the precision and the technique as well because you know what? Technique might not win a fight in a heavyweight match, but it will win a fight in a 125 match because that's where it really counts. Well, and so. to that point, take take the Cejudo-DJ rematch out of the picture. Talk about building up. The last two fights DJ had, which both also got promoted like garbage and is insulting. Ray Borg, which in his own right, realistically, in my opinion, is one of the best matchups for DJ, aside from that whole crazy fucking flying armbar transition that nobody fucking saw coming except DJ's coach. So that fight alone had great fucking potential. Fell flat on his face as far as promotions go. The fight before that, they had to put together an ultimate fighter season with champions from other fucking organizations. They brought in every number one 125 dude they can and had them fight it out tournament style in an ultimate fighter series to give DJ a chance at the best of the best from other organizations because he had already cleared out the UFC and he beat the brakes off that dude. And what happened with this promotion? Fucking garbage for that fight as well. Yeah. But then here comes Cejudo. They get mediocre coverage because it's a rematch, so there's already a little bit of a base there. And now that Cejudo has the belt, I'm using air quotes for people listening, he is on the UFC's Instagram once a week. He's getting interviewed by Megan O'Leary all the time. He's doing little short skits and shit with the belt like it's a fucking sketch comedy troupe. Like, I don't want to say that they purposefully weren't promoting DJ, but it sure as hell seems an awful lot now like they're promoting Henry way more after this decision win 
than they did the guy who put the division on the map internationally beyond the organization. And that just feels a little weird to me. It could all be built up to the air quote super fight, you know, with uh, TJ, you know, but it's, it's hit or miss. Yeah. You don't know, you don't know uh, what the person creating this is actually thinking or how they think this is going to build up to be uh, potentially favorable for the company. Right. Yeah. What I wouldn't give to have fucking 10 minutes as a fly on the wall in Sean Shelby's office. <laughs> Ridiculous. But the last fight on the prelim card that I'm going to mention here, and I almost didn't, but I feel that I have to here because realistically, it's going to get a lot of eyes. It's going to be the last prelim fight. It's going to be the big, you know, attention getter before we kick off to the main card. <sighs> Jose Quinones versus Sugar Sean O'Malley. Now, let, let me see how I – anyone who listens to, to me rant about things like this or just my rants on Instagram in general knows that I can be very savage-tongued about certain issues, and I don't want this to come across as being a hater, and I know some people are still going to see that as that, but I don't buy the fucking Sugar Sean hype. I think he is a skinny, young Conor McGregor fan who has said that he used to watch Conor McGregor's walkout videos to get himself into that cocky, Billy Strutt fucking confident level. And I think that he has done a great job of. What I don't think he has done a great job of, in my opinion, is showing his fucking skill set. The reason that Conor McGregor gets to do the shit talking that he does, gets to do that fucking Billy strut when he walks into places. The reason he can do that and people fucking love it is because when you put him in the octagon, he backs it up 110%. This isn't one of those things where you hear a dude bark and then you see him get put the fuck down. Sugar Sean hasn't got that yet. In my opinion, just from watching his... Uh, UFC embeddeds and some of his interviews and then the JRE episode that he did with Rogan from what I can tell he is a dude with potential with a decent level of technique and ability but his biggest strength is his ego in my opinion he is another one of those dudes like we were saying earlier he's drinking too much of his own fucking Kool-Aid he's he's more focused in my opinion on building his own name by it being a name than he is by getting in the octagon and showing what he can do because he's always bragging about, I got the best this, I can do that the best. But then you see him in the octagon and it's like, yeah, you, you have some skill, but you're young and you're nothing special yet. But then you've got this whole fucking Sugar Sean hype train coming along and it's like... Oh, they promote the shit out of that too. Like... Quinones beat Diego Rivas within an inch of his fucking life. Rivas is one of my favorites in that fucking little guy division as well. So the fact that he put the fucking work to Rivas means that he's something to be contended with legitimately. And again, you know, Quinones is still on that, that young train as well, but he's one of those quiet guys that we were talking about. He's not out there running his mouth, not trying to be the next Connor. He's just beating his way up the fucking rankings and letting the number next to his name stand for his actions. Whereas Sugar Sean kind of is the opposite. He's trying to like 
build himself almost as the new heel in the younger or the, the lighter divisions. And I, I don't know. Like, I, I want to say the kid has potential for sure. Doesn't have enough potential to take down a serious young fighter like Quinones. I don't think so. I, I realistically, I think that here is going to be the first major speed bump in this Sugar Shane hype train for me, at least. Very well said. And to be honest, I hope that is the first speed bump because they, um, a, the UFC needs that, and b, so does that kid. Right now, he's ten and zero as a professional. Yep. He needs to. The world needs to see how do you come back off of a loss to continue to ride that Sugar Shane hype train that all of these kids are doing with their pixie sticks. Fucking, let's see what happens when you lose. Yep. I, not that I ever want to see any fighter lose, because to be honest, I just want them to go in there and bang the piss out of each other and everybody's a winner. Right. But at the same time, he needs a fucking loss to see how he responds. And I'm not saying it needs to be uh, you need to get knocked the fuck out and fuck your career up loss. But you need a loss to set you back. That being said, that injury he he took in that last fight, I feel like is the first speed bump in his career. Because he was dominating that fight, in my opinion. And I don't remember what happened, but I remember him not being able to stand on his own foot and then just letting no boy ground him out his ass. Threw the bones in his foot in a a high kick attempt at the end of it. Yeah, because Rogan actually interviewed him on the ground, laying on the fucking ground with his fucking trainers putting ice on his ankles just so they could carry him out of the ring. Yeah, no, I completely agree. The kid's got talent to a degree, and he's got some potential. But, like, dude, you're you're young enough. Your mouth is still writing checks. Your ass can't cash yet, I think. And don't get me wrong. He's definitely got the toughness because he stuck it out even with with the break that was in there. And, I mean – Kudos to him for coming back on. To be honest, this was pretty quick turnaround time from that break. Yep. Because I mean, yeah. that was what, not even six months ago, six eight months ago. Yeah, I think. It yeah. Gets- yeah. So it really that's a quick turnaround for any sort of injury, especially when it comes to something you're on all the time—a foot, an ankle, whatever. Something you're putting weight on, and you're able to go back out there and train and be ready for a fight in that short of a time. Kudos to you for having the toughness and fortitude for it, but. I'm still on that hype train of I want to see that sugar train have that same sugar crash. Yep. A little diabetes might do him good. <laughs> yeah. It's better to have it now, too, than if you have it later on, like uh, Ngano and uh, Till, even Till. Like, it's pretty early in Till's – well, I guess it's pretty early in Till's career, but, you know, it's just – they get these big crashes when um, they fight champions, and that's their first loss. Yep. I think I think this is going to be a real good test, and and like TJ said, I, you know, I don't want to wish a guy bad, but at this point, I, I almost think he needs to have his ass handed to him a little bit, just to see how he likes the taste of that humble pie and see how he reacts from not being the big fucking hype train coming out of a fight like he has been his last couple. You know, that brings up one good point I just now popped into my head with that. Does he pull if he if he does lose? And I say if because I don't know if he will or not. But if he does, will he come back like Conor McGregor? Still talking shit. Come back, avenge, avenge what he's fucked up, 
and keep on rolling. If he pulls that off, I will shut the fuck up. Hmm. If that's what happens. Because you know what? If you can come back, still be that same person you were, talk that same shit, and then come back in and start running the tables again, fuck, I quit. Well done, sir. My hat's <laughs> off to you. I salute you. Because you know what? That takes a lot to be able to pull that one off. And I think that's the main reason why I don't want to see him get hurt to where he doesn't fight again. But I want to see what a loss will do to him. I, I think realistically, and, you know, I hate to beat a dead horse, but I don't wish the kid well. But I, I, I kind of want to see him lose here. Not get fucking mauled. Not get fucking brain damaged. Fucking get his bell rung and get knocked out flat. But I think I want to see him lose here because – he himself makes such a point of saying that he's modeled his style, his persona off of Connor so heavily that it's, it's kind of obvious to, to us, you know, hardcore fans that we can see it. And the thing that he doesn't have yet is that big loss because Connor, when he got fucking tapped, it was a huge ordeal. And the first words out of Connor's fucking mouth is I don't lose. I learn and I move on. He tapped. He doesn't deny he tapped. We all watched him tap. But it didn't phase his fucking mindset in the slightest. Not only did he come right back, he came back to 170, fought Nate again, and won. So he literally proved the shit that he talked by backing up with exactly what he said. Can Sean do the same thing here? If he's smart to win this fight, he's going to use a lot of kicks. To keep uh, Quinonez uh, out of punching range. Because yeah. if he lands one of those hands, who knows what's going to happen. I agree. So, I mean, it's it's going to be a good fight. This could steal fight of the night. I mean, it, roughly, I, I use that term loosely considering the, the, the main event is. Right. Uh, but, this card's got a lot of fight of the night potential, but, but I agree. If, if the fire were to pop off, but I mean, going on like the whole main card, everybody has a number next to their name. Like they made sure this is a stacked fucking event. I can't say that these are the five most anticipated but what I will confidently say is that these are five of the biggest anticipated fights of the year. Right out the gate, the crack off the main card when you want to get everybody's attention, this is a beautiful fucking way to do it, quite literally. Of that. We've got police who's alive too. And Lily Foolish. 
my opinion, is one of the baddest rods in that division. So, with them both only having two losses, both against Mortal Domains, I think this has got some little girl fireworks behind it here. The only thing that I'm honestly really curious about here is, and, and I couldn't verify this, I, I posted on Facebook on the I'm No Joe page last night because I was doing some last minute highlight reel watches and doing some fact checking. I can't find the place that I saw it, but I remember fairly distinctly not long ago hearing that Elise Herrick was either a free agent or decided not to renew her contract with the UFC because she was going to go do that bare knuckle fighting shit that Beck Rawlings started somebody as, as devoted as Michelle Watterson is, like, Michelle Watterson just opened her own gym in her backyard, so she didn't have to travel to train anymore, and she could do training camps at home, like, the girl's devoted to mixed martial arts on a full fucking level to the UFC, because they're, that's part of, it's one of the UFC gyms that some fighters are starting to open that she just had, so she's all on board with the UFC, she's all on board with the UFC style mixed martial arts, whereas... Herrig, at least to a small degree, took a lot of time off, and she's got videos talking about how her mental state just wasn't there for the UFC anymore. And even if she was only briefly considering leaving, that kind of doubt in your mind and coming up to a big fight like this against Watterson, which really does have potential you know, contention status for that division, I don't know if that's going to do Felice any favors here. I, I feel like... It's a good matchup style-wise, but I feel like just on the mental aspect of that alone, Michelle being that much more focused than Felice, even for part of the camp, I, I got to say that the Karate Hottie is going to clean this one out. That very well could be. However, um, the one devil's advocate I will play to this is it's going to depend on which Michelle Waterson shows up because – if you look at her two losses, she does not look like the same fighter she was in those two wins. Very, yeah, very like, true. I'll absolutely agree with It's that. all going to depend on how she shows up. And with Felice Herring having doubt in her mind going in there, even there's a good chance that even if Michelle Watterson doesn't look good, she can still beat her. If there's that doubt in your mind, you shouldn't be getting in there. Right, and that, that's exactly I'm making here like even just you don't go into a fight thinking oh well I'm not fully in this that's when you get wrecked because you're not fully in it yep. uh, it it's going to depend is does Felice Herring have the right mindset and what Michelle Watterson shows up it's going to be a good fight regardless I think because uh, Felice felt the same way about her last fight and she went in there and put on a show you know what I mean that is true, but the only thing, and, and I, I agree with you completely, that, that did happen the last time as well, but I think to this point, she's had what I think she said it was 13 months off this time, 14 months off since that fight. 
like she's taken more time off and and in my opinion at least from what she's showing on social media taken more of a step back between these two fights than she did for the last fight it almost feels like and again i don't i don't want to wish anybody's career bad but it almost feels like from what she's been posting on social media lately that she's kind of building this hype almost to set herself up if she loses to just retire from the ufc very possible And, you know, you hate that way, but if the, if there's that much doubt realistically, maybe it's the right move. Maybe it's something I'm still that looking. somebody is like, uh, I know they would love to build up uh, the karate hottie. I'm still looking forward to the weigh-ins, though. That's, that's, that's my big point, take away from this, this fight. See if we have a dance-off again this time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so much of a dance off. Uh, just some, maybe some booty shaking. That'd be all right. Yeah, a pants <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boys, boys, boys. So, with with the karate hottie talk out of the way, the elephant, quite literally, in the room that we've got to talk about next is Derek Lewis versus Volkov. Alexander Volkov. That dude is 4-0 for a reason. Like, he might not have the biggest hype train behind him, but that dude is a perfect example of your actions speaking for your intentions. That dude putting Fabricio to fucking bed is a highlight reel that any new MMA fan needs to go back and watch because Fabricio, as much as I don't care for that stupid goddamn face that he makes, Fabricio has credit to his name. The man has ability and he has talent. So for Volkov to fuck him up the way that he did, it realistically, that says a lot to me. On the other hand, Derek Lewis has put fucking work in in the UFC up until this fucking dumpster fire of a fight that he had with Nganu. Like, that fight literally set records for the least amount of thrown strikes in a heavyweight performance in UFC history. That was the definition of two shell-shocked dudes scared to throw down against each other. The fact that they went to the decision and they did call that anything besides a draw blows my mind. But What he needs to do is unleash the beast. That's what I'm saying. Can Derek Lewis come back? Because we've all seen him with the fucking chest pound. That dude can do work. But for whatever fucking reason, his mind was not in that Ngano fight, which it should have been. Because if he could have put Ngano away legitimately, he's, he's the guy. He's the guy. But with that kind of a fucking shadow following him, can he come out from that fucking mental cage that he had himself in, especially I, against a dude like Volkov who does not fuck around? If Derek Lewis can unleash the Black Beast, which I think he will because of the last performance, uh, it's hard to say. I mean... <laughs> You know, um, I'm going to say this with this. If he does not unleash, there's a good chance that he gets cut. Number two or not, you can't have a fight like you just had with Nganu, come back, look terrible again, 
and expect to keep your job. I'm still wondering how the fuck he's still ranked number two. I agree. After that last showing, you should have dropped down to 10 at least. Yeah. Win or not, because that was a fucking draw, because nobody threw a punch. Nobody. I could have fought that fight and possibly won. (laughs) I'm just seeing. Yeah, if he's fighting this early, it wasn't a back problem. It's just like. Right. Yeah. And then you're going to go in there with Volkov? No, dude. If you don't show up, you're going to be ranked number 10 after this anyways because Volkov's going to light you up like a fucking Christmas tree. It almost feels at least a little bit to me like this is, like you're saying, it's, it's going to be his make or break moment. Like we saw you fucking flounder against Nganu. And I, I agree. I think if he comes out there and he's still that same scared little bitch against Volkov, he's going to get put the fuck away by Volkov and he might get cut by the UFC. And I kind of feel like on that same note, Nganu's next fight needs to be the same fucking thing. Like, yeah, you came in and you did fucking work against Curtis Blades and you put fucking Overeem into astral projection mode. But Stipe came in as a well-rounded fighter and shut you the fuck down so bad that you gave us that performance against Derek Lewis. So I feel like both of those dudes came into that fight so goddamn shell-shocked that neither one of them could even figure out what the fuck to do. And I feel like this fight for Lewis... And the next matchup, whoever the fuck they make it against for Nganu, should both realistically be that same. If you can't get your shit together, then you're gone fight. And personally, Volkov is going to take Lewis out of the UFC next weekend. Right now, he's definitely in that career-defining moment. Do you stay or do you go? And it sucks because I love Derek Lewis. Like, he's a funny dude. He's a great shit talker. He's got talent, but if you can't come back from, and and I don't really even understand what it was about the Engano fight that shook him so bad, but if you can't come back from that, you can't come back from that. And I, it almost feels like because Volkov is still so fresh in the UFC that this is like a 50, 50, like it's a gimme fight that they're throwing to Lewis. Like you should be able to fuck this dude up from what we know of you. But at the same time, if you can't, we're, we're done. We're just. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I think I, I would love to see the black beast that we all know come back and do fucking work tonight. Well, next weekend rather, but. I'm I'm inclined to think that Volkov is going to show up and be the Volkov that we have seen historically. Okay. Yep. Even if even if Derek Lewis is good, it's a it's a rough fight. But hopefully he is he is out of that mind funk and it's a good fight and he at least keeps his job or whatever. Right. I wonder how often or how close to the fight he uh, smokes weed. I know you can't fight, like, uh, during competition, but isn't that only, like, a couple days? Yeah, with the with the new rulings, and they're fighting in Nevada, so it's going to have, like, the optimal UFC new commission rules. Uh, with the new, the new guidelines, they said, I think Nowitzki said, basically, as long as you literally aren't smoking the day of the fight, like, if you don't smoke a joint that day, you can still smoke the day before. 
you just literally can't consume on the day of the fight. So, I mean, if he's smart, half the fucking dudes in the UFC since they started changing that rule have realized, especially the heavy BJJ players, weed ain't the worst thing in the fucking world for training, man. It helps your yeah. fucking recovery. It helps you loosen up. It helps your creativity. Just don't be stoned to the fucking bone when you're coming into the octagon. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> you know, that's a, a big proponent of the fucking the sugar show is that he was literally at the last fucking UFC event sitting ringside with a joint behind his fucking ear. We get it, dude. You smoke weed. Calm down. Like, <laughs> guys like Derek Lewis, like, he's he's another one, like, same with Nate Diaz. Like, that's their lifestyle. That's not part of the fucking gimmick. That's that's just who they are. So you almost hope that Lewis has taken this time to sit around, smoke a little fucking weed, get back in the goddamn zone, and show us the fucking guy that we know you can be. Yeah. Unless, unless you did smoke the last one and it made you paranoid or some shit. Right, yeah. Like, <laughs> <they'll fall. laughs> yeah. Whatever you did last fight, do the opposite. Yeah, don't do that again. <laughs> <sighs> but the follow-up from that, I don't want to say this is a bad fight, but I feel like this was the filler fight that they needed for the main card. Ovent St. Prue versus Dominic Reyes. Like, Dominic Reyes is a fucking up-and-coming prospect for sure in, in the UFC. He's got his experience outside that. But as far as the UFC goes, I feel like he's, he's starting to be on the up-and-up. He's starting to make a little fucking headway, get a little steam behind him. I know that OSP has those fucking Von Flew chokes. I know he's got some fucking highlight reels. I know he was a great fucking dude in his football career before he came, you know, made the full transition to UFC. I don't buy the fucking hype. And my shining example, and there are plenty of others better, but my shining example is the fight against John Jones. John Jones was coming back off of more time off than he should have had. He clearly wasn't officially fully ready. He said he had the flu coming off the end of fight camp coming into that week. But he made light work of a in-great-shape OSP. I can't think, even with a big win here against Reyes, that it's really going to do a whole lot for OSP's career. Like, he just – he seems very inconsistent to me. Like, the Von Fluchokes, because I believe he's got either two or three of them now. That's a highlight reel moment, for sure. But in a world – in 2018, where your last performance is what you're remembered by, more so than your entirety of your record, OSP has not put on a stellar, memorable performance in some time now. Like, he's got a win or two recently, but it's the only way I can accurately describe it is OSP's career right now is very meh. It's stagnant, to say the yeah. least. Meh. That was good for me. <laughs> to be honest, if he doesn't pull out a win over Reyes, because in all in all actuality, he should. Yeah, he, absolutely. He's right now as stagnant as his career is. I think he's still more well-rounded than Reyes is. Reyes is fresh into his career though, too, because I think what he's he's like only got like eight or ten professional fights right now. Yeah, undefeated or not. That's a young end of your career. That's the same as that sugar train garbage we were talking about earlier. You're young into your career. Don't get me wrong. If you knock off OSP, 
that's a huge boost to your career. You're going to shoot up the rankings. Guaranteed. But this should be a, a one-sided fight, in my opinion. That OSP, as long as he shows up, should walk away fairly unscathed. I mean, he's going to take some licks because Reyes is no slouch. Yeah, absolutely. But he should walk away with this. If he doesn't, he he in my mind right now, with the way his career has looked, I, I think he falls into that same black beast area. Dude, you need to do something to, to really raise your stock. Because right now, your stock is just fucking – it's slowly falling. Uh, and if you lose here, guess what? You're bottoming the fuck out. You may as well fall out of the rankings. I agree. And I, and I was just thinking the same thing while you were saying that. I was just thinking, you know – this is another Derek Lewis situation. Like we've seen OSP perform. We know he has the potential. We know he has the ability, but he doesn't have the consistency. And it's like on that same token as fucking Lewis, like it's 2018, man. What have you done for me lately? Like, and I hate that it is that way to a degree because realistically the merit system that got most of us like hardcore fans into watching MMA is dudes earn their way up the fucking rankings the way that they should be. But you know, as much as it sucks, it's 2018. That's not the way it works anymore. Like, you've got to put on a performance to get moved ahead. It doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile in the old days. In the new way that it is, if you're not wowing people and putting yourself in the fucking ESPN, you know, 30-second highlight reel, your next fight's going to be the same caliber as your current fight was. And OSP is consistently meh in my eyes. So I, I feel uh, agreed, just like you say, this is one of those that even though he's, you know, Reyes is nothing to overlook. It's, it seems at least like the, the UFC is kind of throwing him as cannon fodder. Like either OSP gets his shit together and puts in work and shows why he needs to still be here. Or Reyes takes a big fucking name off the roster and puts a damn fine check in his belt loop. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But to move on here, the co-main event of co-main events for 2018. Granted, it's not as big as Tony versus Khabib was originally set to be, but Tony Ferguson versus Anthony Pettis for the potential contention for the next title shot is a fucking fascinating fight to me. Pettis is another one of those. He has got a fucking resume and a pedigree that you cannot ignore. But at the same time, it's 2018, and he really doesn't have a lot of recent 155 victories worth noting about because he bounced around weight classes for a little bit. He also took a lot of time off. He also took a lot of time to help train CM Punk, which I think was a fucking grand mistake. And he's also taken a little time now to help his brother Sergio. So on one hand, I feel like that both Pettis brothers on the same fucking card on the say or on the same event rather, which is awesome, is definitely gonna be, you know, an adrenaline boost and a motivating factor that's gonna just light a fucking fire in Pettis at the same time. God damn, Tony Ferguson is a bad, bad man. Even just looking at his, his social media, his Instagram, his fucking, his Facebook and what have you, 
he's back to training now like he never lost a step. And he had his entire knee split from his ankle to his hip almost after the accident when they stopped him or when he was in uh, getting ready to fight Khabib. So on one hand, you kind of got to think of, is this really the UFC using Anthony Pettis as cannon fodder to see how good Tony's knee is after the surgery? Or do they understand that Tony's fucking back and you just got to give him somebody that he can put a fucking performance on against to make people remember that he's the dude who was going to fight for the belt a year ago. And whoever wins between Connor and, and Khabib has to keep in mind that Tony's right there and he's ready and he deserves it. Like, I am a huge El Kakui fan. I fucking love that dude. Ever since he was on The Ultimate Fighter, I've been following that dude. He is badass like no other. And the shit that him and Eddie Bravo do is unfucking believable. But I'm not going to take away from Pettis because, like I said, we have seen Pettis put on those fucking unbelievable moves, the fucking spin move off the cage against Benson. Granted, it was a while ago, but we know Pettis has the pedigree to hold his own. I don't think, though, he can do it against Tony. I think realistically, Tony's going to come in and show people why he was the guy that was going to fight for the belt while Connor was playing with Floyd. My money's on the boogeyman. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a more chance. I think what the fight that should have happened if there wasn't no super fights is uh, is Tony versus um, Poirier. And, but I do love that uh, that they're doing this thing where they're putting another fight on the card for the main event, and just in case, because God forbid, if I'm if I'm Connor or if I'm Khabib, I'm hoping the other guy doesn't fall out because. Tony's a lot to, to train for all and so and and Khabib's a lot to train for and Connor's a lot to train for. Like it just, you know, it would really suck if one of them fell out, but it would be awesome for us because we would still have an awesome fight to watch. Right, absolutely. Now I think if somebody did fall out, say whether it was Khabib or Connor, the boogeyman would step up and he'd be like, I'll fight him. He's like, I don't give a fuck. That's what he's there for. Yeah, they put him on the card just for that reason. Oh, like, guaranteed. Yeah. Don't you know. Don't <laughs> you know what? Ally Quinta legitimately had a puncher's chance when he fought Khabib because he rocked him a couple times. Fuck and yes. Seen it. I'm going. But we're not talking about that, so I'm going to stop here because I got more to rattle on about that in a minute, but when it comes to El Kukui and Showtime here, I look at this as I think Anthony is getting thrown to the wolves a little bit, which is kind of fucked up on the UFC's part because he did just put on a phenomenal performance in his last fight. I don't think he's quite ready for Ferguson, even though Ferguson is coming off of a long layoff with a knee surgery. At the same time, this is going to tell a lot about Ferguson because we're going to see how that knee is holding up post-surgery, how his training has come because of that surgery. I think he's going to end up beating Pettis. However, to play devil's advocate a little bit here, um, with those two Pettises on the card, that brother-brother thing they got going on now, 
you know, both of those motherfuckers were in the gym beating the brakes off of each other to try to come out with two Pettis victories on the same card. I think in, in all actuality, if Pettis is sitting in the back watching his brother fight on the monitor and his brother wins, there's a good chance in there that you're going to see one of the best Anthony Pettis's you've ever seen because he doesn't want to be the losing Pettis. Oh, 100%. And it'll still work the same way even if his brother loses. He'll be like, we can't have two losing Pettis's on one fight card. He's going to go in there and put on a phenomenal performance. I think having his brother on the undercard is really going to help his game a lot. Not that he's not ready. He always shows up ready. He doesn't always show it like he is, but he's, he's been a professional and a mainstay at this weight class. Well, at in the weight classes he's been in for a very long time. There's a reason why they call him Showtime. He shows up. He's always ready. He might not look like it, but you know the man trains. Well, hell, he's a former champion. You know he's got the pedigree. Yeah, so he's, he's got it there. But to be honest, it's going to take everything in his repertoire. And just to be on complete point in order to take down Ferguson, because El Kukui, he is on a different level. To be honest, I have no doubt if Ferguson would have fought Khabib, that would have been the end of the Khabib hype train. Absolutely. El Kukui would fucking run the tables on him without a shadow of a doubt. I'll call that right now. So if, if it happens that Connor loses to Khabib, guess what? El Kukui's going to go in there and fuck Khabib's world up. Guaranteed. I'm just saying that now. Uh, that's not me making a prediction on the Connor Ferguson fight or on the Connor Khabib fight because that's for later. But I'm just saying if it ends up working out that way and Kukui wins tonight, he fucks that world up now. If Pettis somehow manages to pull off a victory, whether it be puncher's chance, whatever the fuck it is, I don't think that he's got a snowball's chance in hell against fucking Khabib or Connor. I agree. Not to mention if he has to fight Connor, <laughs> Connor will get so far under that dude's skin, it'll crawl right off of him. He'll leave the fucking gym. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, realistically, I think Tony takes it. And, and that's why I was saying earlier, I think that brother factor, I think that's going to amp Anthony up whether Sergio wins or loses. I Granted, I still think Sergio's going to win, but I agree with you. Win or lose, that's going to be hard motivation to get Anthony to fight like the Anthony that we used to see, the reason they called him Showtime in the fucking beginning. I think he's most likely going to show up next weekend. The problem is, like you were saying, I think, Tony Ferguson is just a whole fucking level above that completely. And even if Showtime wins, I don't think he stands a snowball's chance in hell against Connor or Khabib. Now, on the other side of that coin, though, I have zero doubt in my mind that, like you were saying, if something, God forbid, should turn out, go sour, and Khabib takes this, I have zero doubt in my mind whatsoever that Tony will wreck Khabib's world like it has never been wrecked before. That's not to say I don't think Connor can, but I was so 
fucking hyped when they announced Tony versus Khabib just because of the level of stylistic matchup in that fight and so fucking heavily tipped for Tony's favor and Khabib is so oblivious to it. My prediction, Anthony's going to show up and he's going to fucking bring it. But I think from following Tony Ferguson's social media and following his recovery from that knee, I think he's right back to where he was maybe a step behind. But in my opinion, Tony Ferguson, a step behind where he was before the surgery, is still (laughs) above Anthony Pettis at his best. Yeah, Yeah, I'm ready to see Tony. Sorry, Nick. No, my bad. Go ahead. No, I said bring on the the bear and the baboon. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's why I apologize. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. All good because the only thing left to discuss, gentlemen, the king is back. (laughs) The original. And only legitimate, in my eyes, double champ in UFC fucking history. Conor McGregor versus Khabib Nurmagomedov for the 155-pound belt officially is, in my opinion, the single most built-up and the single greatest potential, no matter how the outcome is, or a fight of notoriety in my lifetime. I know there have been great fights before. I'm sure there's going to be great fights in the future. But for my money, the rivalry, the stylistic matchup, the legacy that this fight represents, aside from the UFC, just from the individuals involved, the undefeated, and yes, I'm using air quotes for people listening, undefeated record of Khabib versus the mind-boggling stripped status of Conor McGregor for the definitive my fucking belt status is the greatest motivation that I think we have seen in any event buildup, period. It is on par to break every single fight record, pay-per-view, attendance, you name it, pirated streams. This one single match is on par to set the bar for fights in our lifetime, in my opinion. And the only thing that I can say prediction-wise, definitively, without any doubt in my statement, is that this fight can go either way and not surprise me. I am no fan in any way, shape, or form of Khabib. I'm willing to acknowledge he's got some wrestling prowess. I don't like his style. I don't like his mentality. I don't like his behavior. It is no secret. I am and have been a huge Conor McGregor fan, not just because of the shit-talking. 
partially because I love that, but because of the way that he is as a fighter, as an athlete, as a man, he tells you what he's going to do and he does it definitively. And that's the reason he is the star that he is. And the situation that built to where we are today, the whole jumping of Artem that caused the dolly to get thrown at the bus, the feud that these two have had brewing behind the scenes for almost two years now is going to culminate in the largest anticipated match of combat sports we may have seen in our lifetimes to date. And because of every factor involved in this, my opinion is that one of two things is going to happen, but neither will surprise me. A, Khabib is going to wrestle fuck DC style Connor for five rounds or until we get a ref stoppage and then play that I've been better the whole time card. Or we see Aldo 2.0. Either this comes with a left cross to La La Land that ends the eagle hype train or we get a squat and pray that takes as long as it goes to decision or a ref to step in and the decision gets made that way. But realistically, neither one will surprise me. Now, being the Connor fan that I am, I want to see that send me location meme with the left hook coming right here all across the internet next Sunday. <laughs> yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if we also, or instead of, see that Khabib laying on top of Connor like a scene from fucking Point Break skydive moment because of the styles that we've got involved here. How do you gentlemen think this is going to come out next weekend for the main event? Every fight starts on its feet. That's my first statement. That's exactly what I was thinking too. I think a lot of people felt like this before. I know TJ was going to say this too, so I feel bad, but before the L.I. Quinta fight, I would have said Khabib's all over Connor. And because um, that's just how it looks. It looks like, um, like everybody was saying, uh, Connor doesn't want this fight. Like, this is the worst fight for Connor, possibly. It, w it was the worst fight for Connor. Even if maybe he doesn't, he, he'll fight anybody. We already know that. But it's the worst possible. It was, it looked like the worst possible for a long now, after the Ally Quinta, after the press conference, after all, all, all is said and done a week away, it, it looks so different. It looks so di – and like uh, Alan just said, every fight starts on its feet, and the fact that Khabib has to get him to the ground, that's just, it just seems rough, but it can go either way That's as long as he can get him to the ground. But I don't really like Khabib's takedowns either. I, don't, I never really liked his takedowns. Well, and you got to think – Aside from Al, who I'm going to be honest here. I'm not even going to hide it. I was screaming in my living room rooting for Al for that whole fucking fight. I was literally going like this every time he got taken down and screaming and cheering every time he landed a punch. I was pulling for Al. But the thing that we learned in that fight, as well as Khabib versus Michael Johnson, is two things that are very, very important, in my opinion, coming into next weekend. One... Khabib's takedowns can be stopped even by someone with mediocre wrestling. Connor has better than mediocre wrestling. But two, Khabib has a very soft chin. And if you can connect with it, we've seen him wobbled, wobbled, 
several times now from just glancing shots. You talk about a striker like Connor, who's going to target that and zone in like a fucking laser point accuracy system. Yeah. I hope he doesn't do to Connor what he did to Ally Aquina and think that he could stand with him for a little bit just to, like, prove something. That's <laughs> not going to work at all. Because, like, Ally Aquinta was letting him hit him. That He knew that's the only way. He said, go ahead and jab me three times because I want you to do – I want you to stand – because that's the only way I'm going to win is if we stand and fight. I will take a couple shots to get off one big shot. Yep. And I hope he doesn't do that to Connor because it's way different, way different. No, there's if he a... does that to Connor – go ahead, go ahead, TJ. I was going to say, there's a couple things that I learned from those fights. And it wasn't just the soft chin and his takedowns can be stuffed. His fucking stand-up, his striking is fucking miserable. It's at, like, fucking amateur level at best. Yep. But also, with the takedown, yes, you can stuff the first one, but he strings takedown attempts together, one after another after another. So once you take, you've stopped one, he has to be careful about that second one. Knowing Conor McGregor, he does have takedown defense, and he has a very good scrambling record when it comes to scrambles. Yep. If you look at his scrambles, he tends to get up very well, except for when he's fucking gassed. That's the time he tapped Nate, which that I get it. Different weight, circumstances, whatever. Weren't training for it. Whatever. Still, nonetheless, this, in my opinion, will come down to not if, but when Connor touches the chin. Because you know what? It's going to happen. As Pike said there, it starts standing. Guess what? That means before you get that takedown attempt, you're going to get touched. Garen fucking teed. Because Connor throws from angles that most fighters don't. Yep. So there's not a way to train for that. You can have somebody try to imitate it, but until you're in there with that same speed, because he has more speed than anybody in that division. Fuck, yes, he does. By leaps and bounds. And those angles, that's what's going to catch Khabib. Now, if he somehow manages to dry hump the shit out of him, it'll wear Connor out because he is a um, – okay, let, let me uh, pull a little a bit of medical in here. There's fast muscle twitch, and there's a slow. He's a fast muscle twitch guy. Thus the reason he has that one-punch knockout ability. It's that fast twitch muscle, which do not recover as well as a slow muscle twitch. The thing that Khabib has with the wrestling, that's a trained, that's a trained thing. Connor's very quick because of that fast twitch, but he gasses quicker too. Not saying that he doesn't have a gas tank. He has it but it's not going to be as much. So if he gets dry humped in the first and into the second round, by the third round, he'll be gassed. Yep. He's not going to get knocked out by Khabib. No. There's no fucking way in hell. They might stop it because he's too tired to defend, but he's not going to get fucking knocked out. There's no way Khabib fucking hits the butt ever. Not now, not in 10 years, not in 30 years of him training striking. His striking is so far down on the level that there's – just no way that he's going to be able to light sell Connor. It just doesn't happen. One of two things will happen. Either he's going to dry fuck the shit out of him until he's got fucking burns and they need fucking aloe vera from all of that dry fucking, or he's <laughs> going to sleep no later than the second round. Guaranteed. I will put fucking money on that right now. 
I don't know which way it's going to roll out, but I have a feeling it's going to be no later than round two. Yeah, that's another thing. Every fight starts on its feet, and it starts on its feet five times in that fight, and Khabib doesn't finish fights. He doesn't fucking finish them. And he want, he wants to stay there and talk to you, and, and that may not be good. He's got to start fucking finishing. That brings up one other thing with this. Connor got under his fucking skin. It yeah, may yeah. not have looked at it like it, but there was a point towards the end of that um, – press conference and i'm using air quotes for you that are listening call it press conference because there were no fans there that's not a fucking press conference that's an interview yeah but he definitely got under his skin once he started talking about the management and the second he said dad in there your father you saw it you could see it in khabib's face where it changed once he's done that connor's won because he's done that to every fucking fighter in one way, shape, or form. And once that's happened, he is guaranteed to come out there and whip your ass because you're in the wrong mindset. Now, yeah, can Khabib recover really from that? I don't think so because nobody's ever gotten under his skin like that. Nobody's pushed him to that point. Not to mention, he's been fighting nobodies. And I'm not saying nobodies that these guys aren't legitimate professional fighters. But when it comes to high-caliber fighters, he's not been fighting the McGregors, the Kukui's. I'll even go as far as say Pettis. Because you know what? Pettis is miles above a lot of the other fucking people he was fighting. I'm just saying, I don't think he, I don't think he has it unless he can pull off a takedown and dry fuck. That's it. The thing that I think, because I, I refuse to completely write off Khabib. I don't fucking like him. I'm not secretive about that at all. I don't fucking like him. I don't like him. I don't like his style. I'm not a fucking Khabib fan. But I'm also a smart enough individual, I would like to think, that I'm not going to write off Khabib totally. There's definitely absolutely a possibility for him to take this in one of his bitch-made ways or another. I see the potential there. The thing that I can think of as far as giving him, I'm not even going to say an advantage. I will just say... Uh, an insight into a potential way that this could go Khabib's manner is the Barbosa fight because Barbosa, aside from anything else, Edson Barbosa is one of the greatest strikers ever to step foot in a fucking octagon UFC or otherwise. Edson Barbosa is legitimately a legend in my opinion. So the fact that Barbosa got taken down time after time after time and got held down is the only thing I can see as a remote possibility for Khabib to be able to win this fight because we all know Connor does not have that gas tank. But the difference here is Connor has better takedown defense and he's demonstrated that than Barboza did. I think, at least from what we've seen, Khabib is very much underestimating both the takedown defense of Connor and the ability to close the distance in a striking manner as opposed to Khabib's willing to close the distance as a takedown or a single leg or a quick slide trip move. I think Khabib is underestimating here the ability of Connor, but I feel like Connor knows because Connor's not dumb. Connor watches tape for hours. Connor's got a professional, legitimate, great team around him. I feel like Connor has prepared and beefed his fucking takedown defense up as well as his cardio up to the extent that Khabib just doesn't have enough in his arsenal overall 
to take this because I have no doubt there's going to be a single leg attempt at some point in the first, I'm going to say minute, minute and a half of the fight. Khabib is going to realize real quick, he's got to go for Connor's legs and try and put him on his ass if he has any hope to last outside of the first round, let alone make it potentially to the end of the fight. I think he's going to use that same style that he did against Barboza from what we've seen so far. He's going to try and avoid the strike and go for that quick single leg or that slide double leg takedown, but it's not going to work. I feel like Connor is going to give him a chance as, as kind of silly as it seems. It feels like Connor is building this up to be a Rocky style fight. He's going to give Khabib the chance, throw your fucking takedown at me. Come on and try and bring that fucking pressure in because one, when you do, bink, there's that fucking left. But two, I think Connor wants to show him I can take the best of what you fucking got and still come back and crush you with it. I feel like the movement and the, the work that Connor has been doing, knowing he's coming up against a guy who's known for his takedowns and his ground game, I feel like as intelligent as he is and as good of a team as he has with him, that Connor is going to be prepared for those takedowns and almost invite him. Come at me, Khabib, because I'm going to stick you, I'm going to stop your takedown, and then I'm going to put you to fucking bed. That's, that's my anticipation. It's very possible that connor has been training for this the whole fucking year he's been off. There's, you know, it's quite possible that he it's – it's already known that he could set up whatever fight he wants um, coming up next. So he could have been, you know, I'm doing Khabib and I'm going to take my time, I'm going to train, and I'm going to beat him. And that's, you know, while Khabib's fighting other guys, not knowing where he's going next or whatever. But I think that's it. I mean, it's – that's – a good assumption to make because Connor knows he's going to try the shit takedown. That's one thing that for sure is going to happen. Well, and that's even Connor. I can't remember his fucking name for the life of me off the top of my head right now, but the day that they went to court and Connor got his charges from the Dolly issue all settled, Connor came out of the courtroom, gave his little spiel, thanked all his fans and then left. But his manager stayed there and gave an interview to all of the fucking news outlets that were waiting and said specifically Connor has been training as if he was in fight camp for the last six months, waiting to see how this court date played out, knowing that if it went beneficial for him, he would be immediately looking for that fight. And he said that specifically, Connor had been training to beef his takedown defense for the last mm -hmm. six months while he was waiting for the court shit to get sorted out. I feel like that's not a move that the manager's just going to be, you know, talking a little shit, trying to build the yeah. hype. I feel like that's one of those things that he was – Connor was just kind of subtly letting his team speak for him to let people know Connor knows Khabib's a fucking wrestler, and he'd be a fool not to train for it. So not only has he been training for it, he was training for it before he knew that was officially going to even be a possibility for the fight to happen. Yep. Yeah, 50% uh, of his pictures in the gym that Connor puts up is with Dylan Dennis, so. Exactly. Or with a, or with a Russian, yeah. He'll be like, uh, you know, I just knocked out a Russian or some shit. Yeah. I think even if uh, Khabib does get a single leg, Connors, because of the angles and the strength that he has from those angles, he's going to light up Khabib during the single leg. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I, I definitely see that. And that's, that's one of the things that I was mentioning earlier is that I, it feels like, at least based on the way that these matchups line up, and, and we as, as hardcore fans know in both these guys' styles know that Connor primarily is a striker and Khabib primarily is a wrestler, but we've been Connor against that type of matchup before. And I... I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Khabib gets Connor against the cage and Connor's are throwing some fucking nasty down elbows. Right. You know, uh, who was it that knocked out? Uh, God damn it. It was Travis Brown knocked out Josh Barnett with those elbows. On the, yeah. On the side of the king. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins that way. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me in the least at all either. That's a good point to make there. I That one went right by me until you said it. Yeah, that's what uh, they always say about Ferguson is why he would be so good against Khabib is fighting up, and that's what he's great down below. Like, you know, maybe Connor's the same or can implement some of the same things. Right. And now that we've talked about the previous fight, let's just say for fucking crazy purposes that Pettis wins, McGregor wins. So it ends up Pettis-McGregor for the title. That brings me to the next one of Ferguson and Khabib are going to end up fighting each other then. I would think. Right. At some point, they will have to fight. Yeah, and at, then at that point, that would tell me um, Khabib would have a two-loss streak on his record because guaranteed Kukui would fuck him up even if he does lose to Pettis, which yep. I don't think is going to happen, but I'm just saying for argument of sake that that's what ended up happening. I could potentially see Khabib going 0-2 in his next two fights. Very true, because I, I tell you what, is, is odd of a combination of the matchup of El Kikui versus Connor would be, realistically, I think win or lose in both of these fights, say Khabib wins and Pettis wins. I still don't think Pettis can beat Connor but I still think even coming off a loss, Ferguson can beat Khabib. I think even coming off an L, he would still be able to take Khabib. And the same with Connor against Pettis. I think even if they were both coming off of a loss, I think those matches don't go in, in Pettis and, and Khabib's favor. I agree with that. Yeah. But it is also awesome seeing both Tony and Connor back, and that's probably – you know, what we think. <laughs> yeah. that's going to happen for the for the lightweight division. That is just huge. Yeah, and then seeing John Jones come back in a little bit's awesome. Right. Well, and then to to piggyback on, would we'll, we'll just we'll disregard the outcome here. Completely throwing out who wins, Connor versus Khabib, with two thirty coming up in November. And all of this bullshit with Nate and Poirier talking the 165, the wolf weight division that they want to get officially put into the UFC. That, I don't want to see them fight for the inaugural belt because I think that's just going to put a fucking ego in Diaz's head that he doesn't need right now. I don't have a problem with the 165 divisioning opening and that maybe being the first fight, not for the belt, but the first fight as an official division. But then that sets up the potential here because if they do open that 165 division and Connor takes this belt back from Khabib, that opens the door for Connor to become the first three-way champion 
as well as even aside from that, that sets up the potential for Diaz McGregor three at 165 because they both fought at 155 and now they've both fought at 170 and neither one was particularly ideal for their particular skill set compared to what it could be at a 165 match. So even if, God forbid, it's a total fucking wash next weekend, if the steam that Diaz and Poirier are putting in can at least plant some legitimate seeds of a 165 possibility, then it really honestly doesn't matter whether Khabib or Connor wins this weekend. There's potential for either or both of them to do some dancing and moving with this 165. And now we've got Connor, Khabib, Nate, Tony, Pettis, and Poirier. There's six dudes that can all bounce between three potential weight ranges to make any one of a combination of fights that already have mixed straws built in between the dudes. So, I mean, I feel like realistically between 229 and 230's outcomes, the UFC is starting to make that move into the right direction again, where they're building fights as a card rather than building fights as a main event and then building the card around it. Yeah, and if there's a couple things I wanted to say about this weight thing. Okay, let's just say Nate and Poirier talked to each other and they said, we're both coming in at 165. The only thing that could happen really is they each lose a 30% purse probably to each yep. other. Yep. And then and, and all they have to do is accept the fight. Yep. So really they could both come into the weight cut 165 and still get the same amount of money and still fight. Because I don't think they would just shut it down. But um, it's only it's only ten pounds. Yeah, they wouldn't shut it down. And uh, and then even if Poirier were to win against Nate, which I think I think he would beat Nate. I think if so too. Poirier, yeah, if Poirier would beat Nate, that would be Poirier would have a good enough resume after losing to Connor that Connor and Poirier too would be an awesome fight. I think that would be a great because he didn't get knocked out by McGregor, I believe. No, that's right. That's right. And that's actually one of the things that uh, Luke Thomas was talking about earlier this week is that if this Poirier Diaz thing does manifest somehow into creating a 165 division belt or not, that no matter where this goes, either Nate Connor three or Connor Dustin two, either way, you've got a rematch with a huge name and that potential for either redemption or established dominance. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I uh, what was it? Poirier, he got caught with that uh, right hook behind the head. You know what I mean? It wasn't an illegal blow. It just as he threw it, the way that it, it landed. landed. Yeah. yeah, it's the way it landed, and that's what did it in for him. You know, like that fight, a rematch between them would be an awesome fight. Because I mean, it's not going to go the same way twice, and if it does, I'd shit my pants. You know what I mean? <laughs> but. Uh, Look at the Poirier-Gaethje fight. Poirier was getting ate up with leg kicks and still managed to come up with a finish. Yep. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, I, I think a number two would be good, and just like you're saying, uh, or uh, was a rubber match would be would be nice between uh, Diaz and uh, oh, Mystic Mac. Hell, yeah.
I'm excited. I mean, shit. I know I'm. I'm. A, I gotta go find what channel Bellator's on so I can watch those fights tonight. Yeah, Paramount TV. Paramount. <laughs> the Paramount Network. Yeah. Yep. Used to be Spike. Now it's Paramount. That sounds so lame. <laughs> that, that's that's a whole different show, but but I agree. Bellator as a promotion is is really starting to to hold their own weight and legitimize themselves to the average everyday MMA and combat sports fan. But I think their move with Spike slash Paramount slash trying to put together pay per views without having the fan base there, I think they might be a, they're they're. Biting off a little more than they can chew just Well, yet. I'm pretty sure Bellator, they pay their fighters more than the UFC. They, they do, but they only do one fight contracts too, though. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, there's there's a couple differences, though. They do get bigger paychecks, but you also don't get that eight-fight contract like you get to sign in the UFC. And you don't get as much promotion because the majority of Bellator fights are free to watch on TV. So you're right. not pay-per-view dollars like you would with the UFC and you're not going to get as big of a you know a media promotion as you would with a name like a UFC that's one thing I meant to say when Nick was talking about them uh Poirier and Diaz both uh losing 30 percent of their purse I'm pretty sure Diaz is getting a larger uh paycheck from this fight than Poirier is getting yeah. so Diaz I, I, I was just thinking about that uh because after the McGregor fight Diaz wants the big money fights. You know, he wants to make more money. Yep. Because, uh, well, he got half a million dollars for that first fight, right? Yeah. But at the same time, though, realistically, say for devil's advocate's sake, Diaz Poirier goes down and Dustin beats the fucking brakes off him. Let's say for – that could, that could very well happen. Let's just say for argument's sake, not only does Dustin beat the shit out of Nate, he fucking stocked and slaps him in MSG. <laughs> not only beat, let's say Nate gets beat and embarrassed. Where the fuck does Nate go from here? There's no big name fights for him. Like this is Nate's chance, much like we were talking about Lewis earlier. Realistically, if Nate can't come out here and fucking perform, and I don't mean fight, I mean Nate has to come out and perform to show why he's a name worthy of getting big fights and keeping him in the fucking limelight. In my opinion, if he comes out here and Dustin just bad baby slaps him around, gives him a fucking Stockton slap, just fucking works him and drops him, Nate Diaz is off the radar. Well, Nate Diaz is off the radar unless he fights one guy. Nate right. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Aside from, <laughs> yeah, aside from the trilogy, I'm saying if Dustin comes out and just fucking ends, Dustin, or ends Nate's night, the only other fight he's got waiting to keep him at all relevant – is a versus Connor, and if no, for example no. Connor Nick beats Diaz. the shit out of here, out of uh, Khabib, and Dustin beats the shit out of Nate, why would Connor want to give Nate a third shot? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying Nick Diaz, the brother fight. <laughs> that that actually could be really interesting. <laughs> like the brothers' redemption. That'd be fun to watch. That could definitely be pretty fucking interesting. I didn't even think about that. And would they would they do it? Who thinks they'd do it? They wouldn't do it. I think if they got paid right, they would. I mean, I think Meter's thinking of Connor versus Nick. Are you thinking of Connor versus Nick or yeah, Nate versus? I'm, Nick? Yeah, I'm thinking. No, I'm thinking Connor versus I'm Nick. Thinking, now. I'm thinking. I'm thinking Nate versus Nick. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. I don't. I don't think that. <laughs> 
don't think either one I'm of saying, the I know. No, I'm, I'm saying, saying, I'm saying Connor versus Nick Diaz instead of Connor versus Nate here. Yeah, Big Brother steps up would be awesome. Yeah, because yeah, that that I could see that's something Brendan Schaub yeah, said. Yeah, that I could see being a huge fucking potential draw because Nick's been out for a while too, but Nick has also been on the fucking uh, uh, submission only grappling circuit while he's been out from fighting. Nick's still been active. He's still a bad motherfucker and he's showing it. Whereas Nate's been sitting around smoking weed, talking shit. You know, it's it's fun for anybody. That's what, that's what Nate. That's what Nate does, though. That's what Nate does. And he does this. He ain't got no biceps, so he lifts his shoulders. Right, yeah. Puff the shoulders so you look bigger. <laughs> no, that, hmm. That's, we're definitely going to have to table talk that for another episode because that's, that's got me thinking now. <laughs> I think if the money's right, the brothers would fight. If, if they made a lot of money, they'd, they'd beat the show each other. Yeah. I, see, I'm I don't sure. think so. I, I think being brothers growing up, they did enough of that for free. I don't think the patient. Yeah, yeah, it would have to be a big pay. It would be probably more than they would. They'd get. Interesting, interesting indeed. But we have exhausted our topic points. So, gentlemen, we'll take a quick moment here. I want to thank all three of you for coming along for having this conversation with me, for giving me great feedback and points of views that I honestly didn't think of. Like it happens every time. And that's why I love having you guys come on here. So we'll take a quick minute real quick. We'll go pop down. Nick Devine, tell the folks where they can find you if they want to hear more of your thoughts. You can find me on Instagram and YouTube at n.divine83. And thanks for having me on. It was so much fun, guys. Absolutely. Thank you again for coming on, brother. Always much appreciated. The man, the myth, the legend. Pikeska, tell them where they can find you, brother. Instagram. Pikeska underscore MSM. You know, I mean, it's it's just some vape stuff. Nothing important. <laughs> it was a pleasure talking to you guys. It's always fun. It's always a highlight of my uh, Saturday afternoon when we get to do this. Absolutely. So, much appreciated, brother. You know I always love talking to MMA with you, whether we're in front of the camera. Yeah, anytime. You know where to find me. Absolutely. And then the man that we can't forget, my main MMA feedback homeboy, TJ, a.k.a. Golf Key Vapes. Brother, let them know where they can see you after this is over. Wednesday nights, 9.30 Central Time. Golf Key Vapes on YouTube. Instagrams, and like I said earlier, if you're feeling getting, you feel like emailing me, it's at Gmail, same name. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on. Folks, I hope you enjoyed listening to us rant, rave, talk shit, and just be general MMA psychopaths like we do enjoy doing. Thank you again for everyone who tuned in. Tell your friends if you like it. Support the show. Help us get this broadcast a little bit bigger. We're trying to build a thing here. I'm trying to get this a little bit more regular trying to cover at least the major events that are going on. So with that, I would thank everyone who is tuning in, both watching and listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. I am the meter. This has been the I am no Joe podcast. Remember, don't let ignorance stop you. You can root for anything. Until next time, folks, have a good one. <laughs>